0: A small, secluded blacksmith shop, hidden deep in the mountains. Three strange men work around the clock to complete the biggest challenge of their careers. Thunderdome.
1: For wrestling's toughest, a steel cage is home. But there's never one like the Thunderdome. There's no way in and no way out. It's Halloween Havoc's most frightening valve. Six tons of steel and electrified... The only way to win is the Terminator outside. For Funk and Muda, Sting and Flare, these blacksmiths have made sure they'll stay right there. It's 30 feet high. It's 30 feet wide. There's no place to run. No place to hide. There's no way to win, only to lose. And how you do that depends on the Terminator you use. It's Halloween Havoc and the Thunderdome. If you want to take part, best pick up your phone. Ah!
2: Turn it on and rip the knob off!
3: Hey guys we're back again with the wrestling memory grenade i'm your host ray russell joining me is steve Ekstedt for this very special edition it's the episode 25 edition it's a quarter of the way to 100 and i'm not trying to jump the gun here i know that's a ways off but that's kind of still a cool milestone marker there for us to uh hit number 25 and how fitting it's it's a nice easy fun watch along episode
4: yeah absolutely we've been building up to this so we finally made it
3: and it's Halloween Havoc 89 settling the score the watch along we've been uh, coming to you the last couple weeks covering everything that was going on leading up to Halloween Havoc we closed out October with NWA news and notes and TV and now the time for talking is done at least in the NWA we're gonna keep talking while you guys watch so cue up that WWE Network while it still exists And again, if you're listening to this much later on, you can always cue it up on the Peacock, I would hope. I don't know yet, but I'm imagining that's what you can do. That's what we'll be doing, and we hope you guys join along. In fact, I actually went and grabbed original audio. So we're going to be listening to some of the original audio from the show instead of the WWE dubbed over version, so you can hear some of the uh, original entrances and things of that nature as the show gets going and some really interesting cheers and chants from this wild Philadelphia crowd. Have you had an opportunity to watch any of the show, Steve?
4: Nope. I haven't watched any of it. I haven't even watched the TV that follows it because I don't want any spoilers. Like I've, like I've been saying last couple of weeks, it's been a long time since I watched this one. So I kind of want to be surprised.
3: Okay, that works for me as well. I did go in and I took a few notes uh, specifically in a couple of matches. I did not watch the matches uh, outside of one and I'll get to that when we get there. I did not watch any of the promos uh, simply because I want to be surprised when I hear Sting botch another one here and so I can make fun of it organically. Instead of already have notes in, in my uh, screen here. But yeah, it's time to get going. It's, uh, what would the Z-Man call it, Steve? Something along the lines of Halloween Havoc 89. Yeah, that sounds about right. As we get going here, it's time. Halloween Havoc 89 settling the score. It's Thunderdome. It's Flair and Sting against Funk and Muda with their Terminators, Ole Anderson and Gary Hart in their corners. And referee Bruno San Martino going to get stuck in that cage before he has a chance to realize what the hell he's, he's gotten himself into skyscrapers versus roadies, the Steiners will finally learn who Doom is. Flying Brian goes up against United States champion Lex Luger and a whole lot more. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the Copia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers and depending on your budget we have everything from as little as a one dollar tier to as much as a 100 tier Get you all sorts of exciting offers it really all depends on what offer you value the most you can do anything from join steve and i right here as co hosts for an episode of the grenade all the way down to unedited versions of the show early access to upcoming episodes beat everyone else to the punch see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it plus my insanely detailed show notes which i value ever so dearly you can even pick the flick And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It can even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off limits. You can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania, to an episode of 1982 World Class, to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All-Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch hell comes to frog town starring roddy piper you tell us what you want us to review and we'll do our own little watch along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process and it doesn't end there there's a five dollar tier the all access tier not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project We review everything from the Flair Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6, all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier, or any of the higher tiers, over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That's wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. wrestling memory grenade is proud to announce the launch of wrestle copia brand and the wrestle copia podcast network which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com that's wrestle Wrestlecopia.com. acom you've probably heard me mention in passing all the way back to episode one of the grenade the wrestle copia brand you may be asking what is wrestle copia the name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of it's an abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast network gets up and running with a variety of podcasts, everything from our show The Grenade to Monday Warfare The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. We've done a couple pieces already in the Bullet Bob Armstrong special and more recently What a Rush, a tribute to Road Warrior Animal Peace. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear that remains an enigma. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter at WrestleCopia for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. So without further delay, Steve, if you have everything queued up, we can get going. Ready to go. All right. And if that's the case, and I hope you guys are all ready to go as well, we're going to count down and we're going to listen to the intro of Halloween Havoc 89, and then we're going to talk to you all about everything going on on the pay per view. Let's count you down here in five, four, three, two, one, press play.
5: Welcome to Halloween. Havoc 89. We're coming to you live from the Philadelphia Civic Center and the City of Brotherly Love here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm Jim Ross, along with my colleague, Bob Conn. We'll be calling the action, ladies and gentlemen. And, Bob, this is a night we've long waited for. This crowd is really ready. Jim, you're right. The
6: scene is set
5: behind us.
6: All the wrestlers are ready. I just came from some of the dressing rooms. They're excited, anxious, maybe a little bit concerned. They're all aware of what tremendous impact this night could have on their careers.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be joining Joined tonight by our colleagues Gordon Soley and Christopher Cruz. Let's go now.
3: And so here we are as uh, Jim Ross, and it's cool to see Bob Coddle back on pay-per-view. It's good to know Bob Cottle. Always a great co-host here on a pay-per-view with Jim Ross.
4: Oh, yeah, Bob's great. Uh, I love me some Bob Coddle. These two work really well together.
3: And what we're doing right now is uh, ah, ah, Mr. play himself, Gordon Soley, in the back. He's going to be doing some of the interviews tonight. And also Chris Cruz, who's new to the NWA. He recently debuted on an episode of Worldwide. He's going to be the new host of Worldwide here very shortly. And he gets to do some of the interviews as well. Very interesting because Cruz is very, very green at this point. But they're giving him this opportunity over Lance Russell. And meanwhile, Lance Russell and Joe Pettisino are stuck doing the hotline, which is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. I mean, I would call and pay, pay a couple bucks to hear Lance Russell talk to me.
4: <laughs> me too. He's great. There's your buddy, Chris Cruz.
3: You know, Chris Cruz is an interesting being if anybody ever checks him out on Facebook. I, don't, I can't tell sometimes if, if he's just trolling everyone or if he's really gone a, a bit mad, uh, as an angry mad, because he, he, he has a lot of opinions, Steve, and uh, there, there's a lot of negativity coming out of Chris Cruz. I, I feel like a lot of it is a, a character he's portraying, but at the same time, it's like a, a shoot. It's like uh, Ole Anderson, but not as bad as Ole Anderson.
4: Yeah, that's definitely weird. Is it like because he's been? I mean, nobody talks about him, or is it just current events, the world, the world we live in, that sort of stuff? Or no, is this has uh, been
3: ongoing him. for a few years now. I, I just recently listened to Jim Ross, an old interview with Jim Ross, a couple of years ago, and he he touched on uh, with some of the things he saw Chris Cruz posting. This would have been back in 2019, and Jr. was just. I mean, Jr. never puts anyone down, so he, he's totally cool with Chris. As we see the Z Man here making his pay-per-view debut here. Halloween
0: Havoc, 89.
3: That's the Z-Man, or as Lance Russell just refers to him as Z, taking on Captain Mike Rotunda. So Rotunda's still on the pay-per-views. But yeah, I don't know. Chris Cruz is an uh, interesting being. Guys, go check out his Facebook account. Tell him we sent you. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> we get this match going. Okay. There's really no backstory here to, to speak of.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, I don't know what they're doing putting this on first. I get it. There's really, like you said, there's nothing going into it. It's just uh, to get the crowd going and getting them interested. But man, they picked the two wrong guys for that.
3: Well, it is a Philly crowd. So if, if they don't get going too soon, the Philly crowd's going to let them have it anyway, I would imagine. So there's going to be noise either way. I just don't know if it's going to be the noise uh, the Z-Man or Microton I want to hear. It is interesting. Obviously, they're they're it, theoretically speaking, it's an it's a great position for Zenk on the card if he's able to deliver to kick things off. He's new to the company. It's a way to get him over. It makes sense to put him on the pay per view. It's just now you're on here. Let's see what you can do with it.
4: Well, he's showing nothing like the first two months of TV. So I'm not going to be anticipating much of anything <laughs> from Tom Zink.
3: Yeah. While we're getting Especially going here, because Mike I know. There. Yeah, with Captain Mike, probably not. I mean, he's a very fun to, fundamentally sound, is Rotunda. I just don't necessarily know if he's the guy you want to get Zenk over here in his first pay-per-view match, and especially in front of a Philly crowd who can eat you alive if you don't deliver. And I don't know, these guys are going for a little bit here, so uh, while they're getting things going and just feeling each other out, let's talk a little bit about the pay-per-view itself, Halloween Havoc 89. It does the best buy rate. Since Great American Bash 1988, that's well over a year ago. We go back all the way to Starcade 88 last year, last December. They pulled in a 1.8 rating with 150,000 buys. And then, of course, we took over doing the 1989 uh, here on the Grenade. With Shy town Rumble 89, it it dropped from a 1.8 at Cade down to a 1.5, 130,000 buys. And they couldn't salvage anything from that George Scott era. As then WrestleWar does a one point three, so the decline continues from one hundred and thirty thousand buys at Chi Town Rumble to one hundred and twenty thousand buys at WrestleWar. And then they were started on the upswing once George Scott was gone and, and we had other guys in the booking committee able to put together a lot of angles and storylines, and of course Flair versus Funk saved that as well. And what a stacked card that bash pay-per-view was. The bash picks things back up. It does a 1.5, and by then there's more eyes on the cable community, so that's 140,000 buys. But nothing compares to Halloween Havoc, who does a 1.7 buy rate, which is a uh, somewhere between 175,000. Even Meltzer at one time speculated closer to 200,000 buys. Again, that's the most buys in, since July of 1988 in the Great American Bash.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what happens when you promote your stuff early and often and you get hot angles and good feuds leading into your show. And I think it's also a brand new show with the name like Halloween Havoc. It's very attention grabbing and it sounds awesome. And I think we mentioned it before that this was the first pay per view that was parental discretion advised. So they're basically promoting massive violence that's not normal for a wrestling card. Right. And um all in all, you throw it all, you mix it all up and throw it all together, and you, that's what you get. So um, people want to think it's rocket science, it's science on how to draw a pay-per-view. Uh, it's, it's not that difficult as long as you've got the right pieces in place and know how to utilize them.
3: Let's take a look real quick here at Mr. Syracuse. Mike Rotunda, have you checked out his singlet yet, Steve? Have you noticed what's on the front of his singlet?
4: Yeah, VC for the old varsity club.
3: So this guy can't even go out and buy himself a new singlet. To wrestle and he doesn't know where he's at right now. Mike Rotunda's still rocking the old Varsity Club gimmick, and they haven't been called the Varsity Club I think since before the Great American Bash. Even though he still teamed with Sullivan there for a little bit afterwards, the Varsity Club has been disbanded for months. And uh, y- you're not exa- you're not really a job guy here. It's not like it's the Brooklyn Brawler that needs to go out and buy himself a new pair of tights or ripped jeans, if you will. It's
4: uh, yeah, One of the shows <laughs> we did uh, the Watch Along for he was. He was constantly tugging at his trunks. So I'm wondering if he got new ones, and uh, they just didn't fit right, or he didn't like them, so he just went to the old reliable, even though it said VC on it.
3: Surely he's making enough he money that he can afford record more record than something.
4: one. I don't know. Well,
3: I just feel like he, he, at this point, uh, he's been with the company from Crockett over to Turner, so he's got a guaranteed contract at this point, you would have to imagine. He's making enough money to purchase more than one singlet
7: here, Captain Mike.
4: Uh, so, I, actually, during his uh, signing that he had that I was watching, he said that somebody asked him how many Letterman jackets did he go through, and he's like, "I have uh, I had about two or three of them." Yeah. so he didn't have that many. No, he not have any. I, I wouldn't left. imagine
3: jacket wise. No, he probably wouldn't need them unless it was part of an angle. So,
4: so, I mean, I don't, I don't know, man. Maybe he didn't spend much on clothes.
3: <laughs> Very frugal. <laughs> to buy. Captain Mike. Yeah, to save the money to raise his children. Mister Bray Wyatt. Mister Bo Dallas. I believe right. that. I believe that. Well,
4: I I, I well like also too. The, uh, like he, he did mention that they traveled all the time, like moved right. up and moved. So like Atlanta to Carolina to closer to New York when he was with Vince, and so they moved a lot. It wasn't like uh, he was staying in the same place, uh, Atlanta and things like that. And so he even said like a lot of his gear and things that he wore, you know what he no longer has. It just kind of gets lost in time, just from oh, I'm the moves sure. and everything.
3: Yeah, the guys of this era,
4: behind and...
3: for lack of a better term, the guys from this era weren't marks for themselves. In other words, Except, A.K.A. Uh, they weren't very wise because they could make a fortune off of this stuff. Now, yeah, you know, only guys like Cornet were smart said. enough to to yeah. keep to keep their, their you know everything. So, uh, Corny's one of the smart ones.
4: Yeah, I know Bret Hart has a lot of his own stuff. I have I no think doubt. Scott Hall said that. <laughs> Scott Hall said he lost a little bit of respect for him when he went to his house because it's just like a shrine to himself, and
3: yeah that doesn't know, shock me whatsoever
4: it, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's cool though i i, I don't I don't know but I, there's a, I think if I, was I think there's a difference between
3: would... keeping you know all of that stuff and like displaying all of that stuff is that is that necessary? I'm not saying don't put anything out, but I mean, I just feel like if I walked into Brett's house. That's exactly what I would expect—a shrine to Bret Hart. I just.
4: <laughs> what? Well, it looks like I I seen him do some things in his house. Um, I can't I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it was like a Super Bowl party or something like that, or I can't remember. But there's a lot of wrestlers over there. And he's like playing pool and things like that. And it looks like he had like a a bar, like a a man cave. Yeah, yeah. And it was like decked out with all his stuff. So I think if I was an athlete or something like that. And I had all these accolades and stuff. If I had a man cave big enough to hold it all, I'd probably have a lot of that on display. I mean, I worked hard for it. It's my life. It's my life's work. And it's a reminder of kind of what I did and everything. And Brett, I don't know if you watched the Yoko documentary yet, but he made a comment that I'm sure fans are going to love. I I was like, Brett, I was thinking to myself, like, why did you say that? But um, (laughs) because... He's like, if it doesn't bother you if you lose when you lose the belt, then you're not taking the business serious enough. And I'm just like, man, there's probably a lot of guys who didn't give a shit if they won or lost the belt. It wasn't what they wrestled for. Some of them were just in it for the money. Some of them were just in it to because they were good at it. I mean, they don't care if they lose the title. But he made that comment. And I'm like, that's that's Bret Hart in a nutshell right there.
3: Right. Yeah. What are you doing? Pretty solid crowd here tonight. It's uh, 7,300 fans. Now, DeMeltz claims that the arena can hold closer to 9,300 fans, but he claims it's not a sellout. But 7,300, it looks pretty packed. There's a few empty seats in the upper deck on the sides. But outside of that, it looks pretty stacked up here. I'm really digging that the uh, the crowd turnout here. As the pay-per-view got started at 7 p.m. Here in the Philadelphia Civic Center, I had to make that note of that. You asked me in the last episode, was it at the Spectrum? Vince would have never allowed that. I'm sure he would have pulled every string he possibly could to keep that from happening. I wonder if they ran. I I didn't go look, but I wonder how close to this show Vince ran a show at the Spectrum.
4: I thought they ran the the Spectrum early on this year, like a house show. That guy snowed out and only like 800 people showed up. for. There's like a, a fan cam out there of it. I thought we had it. I thought that was the Spectrum. Mm, i don't know it be wrong. I, mean, it I, be I can't
3: yeah i can't say uh you know either way in regards to that i'd have to really go dig for that i don't believe so but if even if so i'm more referring to this being a pay-per-view at, at the spectrum yeah. than yeah. like a house show i'm sure vince laughed his ass off when they tried to run a house show there because the business has been bad all year at the house shows it just yeah, seems it to start picking dope. up here yeah um So we got Zink and Rotunda in here, and uh, we got quite a few matches on the undercard. SST teaming with uh, Fatu's twin brother, uh, Simone Savage, and a six-man coming up next against Dr. Death in the Midnights. And we'll see the world champion Freebirds defend against the Dynamic Dudes. That's going to be a fun one for for all the wrong reasons. And just a whole lot more coming up. Is Mike Rotunda getting some heat on Tom Zink? They're moving at a faster pace than I would have imagined, yet
7: not fast enough.
4: Yeah, it like Mike's doing the, the gimmick thumb there where he's using it as a weapon because it has a little bit of tape on it. But um, yeah, there's not a lot of the right home about this one. Very basic. Nothing spectacular going on here.
3: I think uh, just the wrong opponent it, for Zinc and uh, just way too much. They, they were given way too much time here to work as well. Obviously, they need to fill time on the pay per view. And they do a poor job of that. <laughs> so you'll find out later on in a couple of matches as well some of the choices they make. Beyond this, I'm not taking anything away from either of these guys. These guys have both proven that they can put... Look at that guy in the background. They're sitting there in the suit. It looks like the guy that went down to Mexico and uh, met with Friar Tormenta, I think, there. in that white suit sitting next to... <laughs> that yeah,
4: does the, look you,
3: like a competitor. Yeah. And a nice suplex there by Rotunda. It's just that both these guys have had good matches in their career. They're capable of doing that. It's just against one another. Oh, yeah. Neither one of these guys are going to force the other one to really <laughs> hammer it home... And put on a clinic. Nothing wrong with this match. This is probably what you would have got uh, to kick off a house show. But this is a pay per view, and uh, not not exactly the. And of course, we got to have the uh, abdominal stretch o Doom. Rotunda's going to have to get in position here to where he can grab the rope. Here he goes. He's slowly turning zinc. There we go. I was I was questioning yeah, that at course. first. <laughs> if he didn't grab the rope, I I, I think something was wrong. <laughs> I check Mike for <laughs> a concussion. A spot. Yeah, at this point, if I'm Nick Patrick, I'd be Mike. Why aren't you grabbing the rope?
4: I, I will say he did say uh, to kind of go back to what we was talking about since this is going to last a minute here. Um, <laughs> he did sell that. He said he sold like an like the original tag belt that he had with I think with um, DiBiase. I, I believe it was. He sold it a few years ago on eBay. I think it mm-hmm. was. So he's kind of sold off some of his stuff. He says he doesn't have a whole lot left. So, um
3: well, I mean, it does
4: kind of stink. If all you this were, stuff is just
3: If you were IRS, would would you have an IRS shrine? I mean, come on. It put me to sleep. Well, even no, if, I, but even I, if mean, I was IRS.
4: <laughs> I mean, I don't know what you would even want. I think obviously the gimmick that he had in the varsity club with the, oh, yeah. the letterman jackets and things like that. Those things would be cool to have just cuz it's college more so than your professional career cuz that'd be cool. Oh, there's uh, the write off. Oh, nice write off. Um maybe some stuff from the US Express. That wouldn't be bad with Wyndham.
3: Yeah, make make sure you clarify that with the Wyndham US Express, not the That's spivey it. US Express. The Jobber US yeah. Express.
4: Definitely Barry Wyndham there. So, um yeah, they're just not I don't know, man. It's just a different breed. They was out there to make money and live hard. They didn't really care about the future. It felt it seemed like
3: Well, some more than others, I'm sure. Mike Rotunda doesn't seem like a guy who was trying to go out there and live hard, I wouldn't think anyway. No. He just doesn't come off. I of just it think he was such. trying to
4: earn <laughs> No, yeah, he's just yeah. trying to earn a paycheck. Right, right. And he's he's very I don't know, he's really soft spoken and humble, oh, it Rotunda. seems like he's very zinc
3: floats over. One, two Three. Interesting finish there. That was not the Z-Lock. No sleeper.
4: Tom Zink out of nowhere. It. it is made. That was 13 minutes.
3: Yeah, that was intriguing, too. Yeah, they got, they got going fast. That was really intriguing. That typically, really... you see the baby face come off the ropes, and the heel rolls over on top with the momentum, and this time it was Rotunda. Kind of out of place for Rotunda to do a reverse body block, but apparently he can do one, and Zink floats over and gets the win, so not necessarily the most definitive win here in zinc's debut but it is a win nonetheless and the z-man victorious and we're about to go to chris cruz who's going to interview bruno San Martino. so let's go let's go listen to that steve the
5: presence of mind the grapevine the outside left.
0: Thank you, Jim Ross. It is indeed a personal honor to be standing next to my hero, Bruno Sammartino, the living legend. Bruno, welcome back to Philadelphia. Thank you, Chris. Nice to be here. Bruno, you have faced many challenging and difficult situations in your nearly 30 years in the ring. Have you ever faced anything as difficult as refereeing in a Thunderdome match?
4: Not quite, Chris. This match is very unique. You know, you have these four individuals in there and practically anything and everything goes. Actually, it's a very dangerous match. You might say, well, what's your role in there? Well, anything and everything goes. So my role basically is that make sure that, uh, for example, Lee Anderson and Gary Hart don't come in, don't get these guys any kind of a weapon, and when somebody throws the tiles, of course, it's
3: my job to stop the, this whole thing and to declare a victor, and anything else that might happen in that ring that should, not I'll be aware of.
0: Can you see anything happening in that ring that might maybe make you stop the match instead of the Terminator?
3: Oh, I, I really don't think so because this is a match. It's going to be fought to
4: the very bitter end, and it's going to be up to the uh, to the to either Anderson or Gary Hart to bring a conclusion to the match.
0: All right, Bruno Sammartino, good to be with you, and uh, glad to have you back, uh, back in to, the ring. Good to be here. All right, fans, let us now go back to the ring. Gary Michael Capetta is standing by for the introductions to that big six-man tag team match.
8: Wrestling fans, the following contest it is set for one fall with a 30-minute time limit. It is a special six-man tag team match! Ladies and gentlemen, the manager, Jim Cornet.
5: The Samoans in their ceremonial preparation for war. The Warriors, Bob, oh, that is quite a feat right there. A fire dance, Jim.
6: Jim, when you see
3: three guys like that What an entrance by the Samoan. The first time I saw that, I marked out like crazy. That the tossing the fire <laughs> across to the to one another, and I mean you, you don't expect that. These guys clearly practiced that at some point growing up.
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they did a lot of things growing up. <laughs> Being <laughs> Samoan and things like that. It's I can only imagine. I mean, uh you, you kind of get a lot of in what the hell happened. there, Day he fell on his ass, <laughs> <laughs> but uh,
3: doing his best, Captain Lou. Know. Now,
4: I guess after <laughs> after hours, Captain Lou.
3: Yes, or,
4: <laughs> Fatu or before hours, crew.
3: Captain <laughs> Lou as well.
4: <laughs> All the time, Captain Lou. Uh, there you Fatu go. got his hair done like his like his brother there. Yeah, Did like you say they're twin brothers. Yeah, they're twins.
3: Uh, uh, obviously, not uh, identical twins, but yeah, Fatu and Tama yeah, I was are say twins. It.
4: That's pretty cool. Um, I was actually and you'll notice they're
3: actually. the ones that that did the fire gimmick because they're brothers. They grew up. I'm sure they. they, they Samu was like, "I ain't in this, guys. You guys go on out there. It would be cool if <laughs> the Usos came out and did that one day, though."
4: Oh yeah, um, they actually had the Tonga kid there on uh, on the Yoko dock. I was kind of surprised by that, but uh, he was there
3: yeah they're that's they a gotta, really
4: great documentary man if you got it you ch- You haven't had a chance yet go watch it uh, you get a lot more respect for those guys all of them like the whole Samoan family um just just incredible and Yoko man what a guy yeah it was a uh, really well done
3: uh better than a lot of their pieces where they kind of put their own spin their own narrative on things uh, actually uh something on there I'd never even known before to be honest and I thought I knew everything about that era anyway any any year that I grew up in watching, I, I've done so much homework on it. I thought I knew it all, and I know I don't because I always learned something new. And that in watching that documentary, it was fun watching Yoko out there as the original head Uh before Fatu yeah. came in and replaced him. I would never heard that before. I don't know if that's in the Observer and I, I knew missed that's it.
4: He was talking about. <laughs> yeah, I
3: just it blew my mind, and then to see that, that promo any. with Alpha and Kokina up there and where he's grunting or growling or whatever, where he's going to be one of the Samoans. It it was really intriguing. I I was really, I was like, wow, interesting. Very interesting.
4: I would have been different. (laughs) It worked out for the best. Obviously Yoko's way too good and big to be a a tag wrestler. Initially. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I do remember reading in the, uh, after mags, maybe even then yeah, it probably was the after mags that when they were coming in, that all three were going to come in as Samoans, they said, Samu, Fatu and Kokina. So I thought at one point that was the, the idea to bring him in as a Samoan and they moved over to the Sumo. I didn't, I didn't realize that he was originally going to be a head shrinker and Fatu wasn't even on the card. You know, he wasn't even in the cards. So very intriguing. Definitely.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you learn a lot about the Samoan family in general, and um, it pulls out your heartstrings as well, especially towards the end with Sika uh, taking blame for what happened to Yoko. Um, that's, that has to be rough as we get going here with Tama and or the Stan Samoan Lane. Savage, I should say, and Stan Lane, <laughs> nasty bump over the top.
3: Stan Lane coming to work tonight. Stan Lane's upped his game ever since they started the storyline with the dudes and uh, i think was well, <laughs> tripping all over or sliding all over a upside down table not sure how it got that way but these guys getting the crowd going early i'm sure you know it doesn't take much to get this philly crowd going if they back you they they respect good wrestling they really the philly crowd and, and and to to a degree the new york crowd but the philly crowd way ahead of its time as far as appreciating good wrestling
4: oh, just, just appreciating I mean, the, the Spectrum got a lot of these big six-man, eight-man matches, it seems like, if you watch those old Coliseum videos that we've been doing right. at the Patreon, they get a lot of these, and the Samoans were a big part of those. So uh, this was smart to get all three of them together kind of play off the Philly crowd because they know what they like. And how can you not like any Samoan? I, like I said, we've, we've had that conversation.
3: <laughs> yeah, they're, they're all so, been, uh, so they're talented. They're
4: all so damn good, every single one of them. In their own way and i know like from what i remember i recently samu's son was like the big hot free agent it's kind of cooled off since the pandemic and everything but he was in mlw and a lot of people thought that he would be like a battle to get him because he's just as good
3: yeah it's uh, funny to see because the last time we saw tama the simone savage here other than the one shot he did earlier here in the nwa going into the summer was Wrestlemania 4, when he was still working with Haku as the Islanders before he took off from the WWF. And here he is a year later, or a li- little, little more than a year and a half later, and he's ballooned up quite a bit. I'm not saying he's massive at this point, but you know, I guess it goes back to the old Pulp Fiction line. You
6: remember Antoine Rocamora, half Samoan, used to call him Tony Rocky Hauer? Yeah, maybe fat, right? I wouldn't go so far as to call the brother fat. I mean, he got a weight problem.
4: What's the nigga gonna do? He's Samoan.
3: Even the even the Rock yeah. had to go and get him a little um, lipo there in the late 90s.
4: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, even like Roman Reigns, he looks great, but I, I'm sure it takes a lot of work. And the Usos, Look when they this. first came Ooh, in, Doc. they had the big asses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Doc's going nuts.
3: Doc having some fun here. But you know what I remember from this match, and I haven't watched this one in a very long time is Bobby Eaton. I think it was Eaton in this match that really, and and I know that's not a shock, a workhorse, but I mean even more so than usual. So I'm going to try to keep an eye on Bobby here throughout this match. I just remember him really being prominently featured in this particular match. But Doc right now lighting everybody up and the Midnight's coming in. So far, we haven't seen any issues between Cornette and the Midnight's like we've been seeing on TV. Remember, Stanley wouldn't even allow Cornette to introduce him on TV. And here on the pay-per-view, corny comes out and boy did he play to that crowd and that crowd ate it up he knew what kind of crowd he was walking into he played to that crowd you'll see them cheer faces you'll see that you'll see them cheer heels they just cheer anyone that's worth cheering and that's what's so cool about this crowd they just respect anybody who's worth
7: worth you know being respected
4: yeah i think that's why it was so easy to well it's not easy but if you give them stuff that they can buy into that crowd's going to back you and support you. Uh, we see it in their sports teams. I'm a big Philly sports fan and Eagles, you know, Sixers somewhat, the Phillies definitely love the Flyers. Um, so I, I know like when you follow your team or your, the teams, <laughs> when it's bad, it's bad. It's real bad. And when it's good, it's great. You ain't going to have better fans. So, um, I think Paul Heyman and Todd Gordon, those guys are really smart to start a wrestling company in Philadelphia. Oh, what a bump there. Holy Savage shit.
3: Savage didn't get in Samu in time. ate it. Poor Fatu. Savage didn't get in in time, so Doc plows Fatu twice, and then and then Savage said, fuck it, and Doc nails Fatu a third time. So Fatu eats three shoulder blocks, and Samu took a, a nasty one himself, and Tama, the wisest Dude. of the three, he never even got in the ring. He's like, "Ah, eh, I'll let Fatu do it for me. It's almost like that G.I. Joe, Zaymut, and Tomax thing. You take the bump, and I'll feel the pain.
4: <laughs> That's right. But like I was saying, I think uh, they were very smart to start a, a company there. I, I know it took a little oh, bit, yeah. but once they got those those core guys, they they bought into it, and you had you had your foundation that you needed. They just tried to get too big for their britches, but um, that Philly crowd there—it's something. I think that's what makes ECW so special is the fans. So, yeah, I mean, it's not the work.
3: <laughs> no. It's uh well, so, some of the guys it was the work, but yeah, overall you're right. most of the work. most of the time it wasn't about the work. You're right.
4: <laughs> it's just the stories and the crowd. Oh my god, that just they were Stan, Stan Lane just ate Ooh. that upside the head.
3: These Samoans don't that's play around. I'm not saying they're they're stiffing the hell out of anybody, but man, they, they lay it in.
4: What do you think of the white, the white tights here, the white gear?
3: I like it. I dig it. Oh, looks cool. Nice kick to the face. Nasty.
4: Nice. <laughs> Whew, yeah. I'm just used to them as the head shrinkers, so it's all black all the time and uh, very basic. But man, this this white kind of sets them apart a little bit. makes them right. stick out and stand out. So. Even though they already do that enough, they stick out a lot. So <laughs>
3: They they were really prominent you know, over the course of the spring and the summer. And then as we got into the fall, when they were finishing up the Road Warrior feud, it's almost like they took a, a step backwards as far as the way they were booked.
4: <laughs> Doc's laughing at him or telling him the next spot or something after he took the headbutt. Oh, nasty. Man, Doc's so good. I thought you said it earlier. He wasn't a huge fan of Doc. Is that, was that true or am I misremembering? Who, me? Like oh, I've always I've yeah. always
3: been a fan of Dr. Death from the very first time I ever saw him. Definitely wasn't, definitely uh, wasn't me. Yeah, no, I, I, I was a fan of Doc was. going back to the late 80s. The first time I ever saw him, I just, okay. he just looked like a, a badass. And I loved it. <laughs> I always loved me some Doc. Like I said, I remember watching him wrestle Italian Stallion on a clash and going, what the hell is going on here? And it, I think the match went like twelve minutes or so. I, I know they just had to stretch for a time, but it was unbelievable. And, oh God, when Doc came back in ninety two, I about shit myself, man. Oh my God, Doctor Death's back. So yeah, I've always been a huge Doctor Death fan. How can you not? The guy just murders people. It's great. Yeah. He's
4: Doctor Death. Of
3: course he murders
4: people. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how you can't. I don't know how you can't like him. Um, man. <laughs> like I don't. I haven't seen a ton of his like. Territory work, that sort of stuff. I mean, what I've seen is basically this and his late WWF stuff from when I was a kid, um, the '92 stuff, things like that. So I probably haven't seen him at his best. What mid south?
3: Oh my god, yes, yeah. There's so yeah, many so, good, good uh, teaming with DiBiase and even you know some of his single stuff.
4: Ooh, Eaton's in, so yeah, here comes the we'll, work.
3: Well, we'll see. It's uh, it's early. I go, I know these guys go quite a while. So there's going to be a little, few quick tags here. you notice, the heels haven't even gotten in the heat yet. So we, we've got a bit of a
4: ways to go. It's amazing, man. The, the Samoans are moving so dang fast, and they got a long way to go. They had stamina for days.
3: Yeah, it makes me wonder, just like the roadies, you know how quick they slowed the pace down when they got to the WWF? The Samoans do the same thing as the head shrinkers. I'm not saying they didn't do some entertaining things, but they, they certainly moved at a much slower pace than they did here in the NW. Of course, it was a couple couple years later as well, so that, that might have had a little bit to do with it as well. Maybe the, a couple couple more bumps and bruises along the way, that'll slow you down as well.
4: Oh, yeah. And I think, to, where did they go before they went to the WWF? They didn't go straight from here to there, did they?
3: No, no. No, uh, the Simons were gone out of the NWA sometime in 1990. Now, what they did between 90 and 92 AWA. is well i mean i don't know who's no because aw was pretty much done in 90 i can't see them paying paying a legitimate wrestler to work in the company in 90 (laughs) unless you were like zabisco or sergeant slaughter there was no name value left by by 1990 they were making their own stars if you want to call them that my god it was just uh, work (laughs) well that's construction crew that's wcw But they were they
4: were destruction the crew.
3: <laughs> oh, the destruction crew! Yeah, Bl- Blumeninos. Yeah, those were yeah. bigger stars than some of the other guys. Of course, the Patriot. Before he was the Patriot, he was Dell, the Trooper. Oh man, Bobby almost—they almost screwed that one up. But Bobby recovered, and still, they follow through with the spot. Bobby gets uh, kind of crotched in the corner there by Tama.
4: So where else was there to work? It looks like we're finally going to get some heat on Eaton here. Where was there I'm work sure it's going to be fun as well. Was, oh, the uh,
3: Samoans on the outside. Well, I mean, there's always Japan. I know Kokina or Yokozuna. Well, watch. This. Here we go. Oh, Bobby. Well, they were kind to him. And Bobby looked up. Yeah, Bobby looked up pissed, man. He looked like he was a little like, bit mad, like shoot mad there. Like, what the fuck are you guys trying to do to me?
4: Yeah, those guardrails are real close to the fans. He didn't look too happy there. I thought he was going to try to drop him on his back. <laughs> I didn't think they was gonna rank him like that. I was—I don't know what I'm thinking. But besides Japan and what Puerto Rico, uh,
3: well, there's Mexico, Mexi- I, Mexico. Well, I know Kokina Yokozuna did you know tours of Mexico. I don't really know everything uh, these guys were doing in between. That's a good, good question.
4: I, just all the companies are gone. Like, yeah, <laughs> that you would to... think that, or where they would possibly be besides you know international places. That's and things that haven't really some like opened up, but Herb Abrams and stuff was just living off old people. He wasn't really bringing anybody new. Besides like right. jobbers like Sandy Beach and stuff like that. So, um, just not a lot of places to go once you're out of the big two. You're kind of going. You're not going to be seen for a while.
3: No, unless you're in Memphis or or Portland, which was was dying as well at that point. Um. There's yeah. really not a whole place to go. That's why I think a lot of their stuff is just international. Like I said, I remember them kind of doing tours of Mexico. I know they, they worked Japan some. Puerto Rico, they came through quite a bit there for a little bit at the beginning of the 90s. So I think they were just floundering around anywhere but the United States. And then, boom, all of a sudden they get the job at the WWF. Not really sure why it took that long for either company to hire them or the NWA to keep them. It's kind of interesting. I don't know what the story is there. They're certainly talented enough. They're established oh. by 1990. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's uh, just kind of And, of course, Vince goes all the way back with Afan So it is mm-hmm. odd that it took until the fall of 92. And even then, had it not been for their, their work rate and how good they really were, they may have been canned before they even made it to TV after Fatu does that splash off the top rope to the floor on the job guy during one of their initial TV tapings. Because according to Tommy Dreamer, the whole entire show got shut down for about 20 to 30 minutes after that spot, Vince was livid and Tommy dreamer didn't get his tryout match because of that. So we might've got to see <laughs> Tommy dreamer in the WWF in 92, 93 as the pretty boy, Tommy dreamer type gimmick. But, um, uh, you know, it's crazy to think Tommy Dreamer's a pretty boy, oh, but yeah, everything in this match has been really solid doc and, uh, the Samoans. And you don't really have to say that out loud. That's obvious. Just given the names involved, poor Bobby Eaton's on the, uh, brunt of the, uh, <laughs> the attack here by the the And Now here, yeah. I think I remember what I was remembering. Bobby just getting the the crap beat out of him and just selling. What a great job so far by Bob Eaton.
4: Well, I'm surprised he was able to land that. Didn't we get a lot of room to drop oh. a leg? Yeah, no it's real like, so story with his ass.
3: No real storyline here. Just filler on the card. But they're trying to get you know a lot of the higher end talent on the show by working the six man tag team match because the Midnights are currently at odds with their own manager, Jim Cornette for advising the dynamic dudes. Of course, the storyline there's Stan Lane and Johnny Ace are fighting over a girl. At least Stan Lane is upset that he, uh, a lady left him for Johnny Ace. It's part of the storyline anyway, jealousy involved. And of course their manager is advising another tag team. It's always an issue. I used to always shit on that when I watched the WWF when Jimmy Hart was managing two and three tag teams at a time. Who, only one of them can be champions. So what do you do with the other ones? Like, why would you oh, be okay with that?
4: legit bidding. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Poor Bobby. Well, Fatu, or excuse me, Tama, bidding. the Samoan Savage here, Tama, he's only been back a few weeks. He, he just got back, started doing TV tapings in early October. So he's only been around a, a couple of weeks now as he's joined the, uh, his brother and his cousin, Samu. And Doc's... Uh, I- kind of been MIA as well. I don't know if he was doing a tour of Japan, which is likely. I'm not really sure what's going on there because we did see him pop up. He had that mini feud with Mike Rotunda after the bash and that that culminated at the uh, last, last clash when he defeated Rotunda. And it seemed like things might continue or escalate because Rotunda attacked Doc after the match. But then we never heard anything else about it. Rotunda was off TV until a week or two ago and Doc's been off TV more, well, again, a week or two ago. Doc returned as well and we got the six man. So no real backstory to this. Just a, a solid match you put on the card.
4: Yeah. I'm, I don't know who booked the pay-per-view but flair. I'm saying, I'm assuming these guys can go Let's just get them on there together. Uh, this not?
3: was from Ooh. notes. I took from Jim Ross, this pay-per-view, the matches other than flair booking the upper echelon matches, the undercard would have been put together by, um, Jim Cornette, and Kevin Sullivan. Which makes sense here because Jim Cornette's here at Ringside. I'm not saying the midnight shouldn't be on the yeah. card anyway. Oh, Doc with an axe handle. Yeah. He's probably been sitting there yeah. watching the Samoans beat the shit out of Bobby and now he's gonna give it back a little bit.
4: Yeah, that and I was thinking if Cornette put the, oh, if Cornette put this together, he probably looked at the roster and was like, you know what, the Samoans can go, let's get them in there together, all three of them. And, well it's uh, a
3: good choice. It certainly beats some of the other guys left on the roster.
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. Cornette knows what he's doing.
3: Did you see Doctor Death pick up one of the uh, SST like in a press slam? I, I mean, he dumped him awkwardly, but he picked him up with ease. Those guys are at least two eighty.
4: Yeah, it was Fatu. Whoa, Fatu.
3: <laughs> somebody spun the you wrong can tell way. Tell, Tama
4: has some rust. Tama has some rust.
3: Well, I, it's Rifle like I said. So. I don't know. You know, he left the WWF on bad terms. And he was young. I think he was only 23 or something. 23, 24 at most in 88. So think about that. Because when he started as the Tonga kid, I think he was like 18 in the WWF, mind you. That's uh, the kind of clout off on Sika had with Vince, oh, too. Oh,
4: nice. But look at that crowd. Boom! Crowd's right popping.
3: into Cornette.
4: Time for, for One the racket shot two. there.
3: Yeah. Popped Oliver Humperdinck with the racket. But did you see what happened after that? Tama hits yeah. Stan Lane, knocks him right into Jim Cornette. So more issues. Obviously, between the Midnights and, yes. and Jim Cornette there, and we didn't see you any issues. Know where this is going. Yeah, absolutely. What they're was gonna, great was we just blame watched
4: Cornette
3: for the loss. Well, rightfully so. Rightfully so. If Stan yep. Lane gets on to him about this, I, I support Stan Lane in this instance. Match went 18 minutes and 23 seconds. Didn't even really feel it. I thought Bobby did a lot of great no. uh, bumping there throughout the match for the Samoans. Except for that guardrail bump whoa. that he was like, whoa, there's that shot again you were talking about
4: the crowd popping crazy for it well he, i mean let's see let's be honest you, you say you're gonna agree with Boom. stan well if it wasn't for Cornette, humpernick would have interfered and probably cost him the match anyway so damned if you do damned if you don't
3: let's go for to Cornette, gordon right? sully and gary hart with terry funk it
1: appears that that reverse psychology, that reverse therapy is working on the Samoans. Gary Hart and Terry Funk have joined me. Just exactly how far are you willing to risk your men tonight in the electrified Thunderdome?
6: Absolutely and totally. There is no quitting in the j organization. And tonight, for the very first time, Mr. J of JTEX will be at ringside with us, Terry. You know, I want to say one thing. You know, Winston Churchill said, never say die. Gary Hart says electrify. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to start a new dance craze here in Philadelphia. It's going to be the 10,000-watt boogie featuring Ric Flair and Sting here tonight. And besides that, we're going to introduce something new. Fried chicken i'm talking about rick flair when we push him up
1: against that electrified fence thank you so very much and now let's go to gary Capetta.
8: wrestling fans the following contest it is set for one fall with a 20
3: 20- i'll spare you the introductions of the next match this is a match of thank you yeah and terry funk they're doing a, a best of of all of his lines he's been spouting for the last several weeks a collection of all of them all wrapped into one promo there The uh, electric boogaloo or boogie and the fried chicken boogie. Oh yeah. That's that's right. The 10,000 watt boogie. And of course the, the fried chicken line electrifying Ric Flair. And this match is in the category of what the fuck is this doing on pay-per-view? It's wildfire. Tommy Rich as if that isn't bad enough taking on the Cuban assassin. How does this make pay-per-view? You're telling me there's nobody else on the roster.
4: Did on pay per view, yeah.
3: I don't, I <laughs> don't understand. I get this for a clash of the champions. I don't get this on pay per view. You're telling me there's nobody else on the roster. Where's Norman? Let's see Norman out here, at least in place of the Cuban. I know Tommy Rich has been working Norman some on the house shows, so it would make sense. It would make better sense than this.
4: If you're gonna have a job guy, why not have Lee Scott out here? See, that would be. That,
3: that's an excellent point. Another well, it's a Tommy Rich. We've already seen that match before. Didn't do to, uh, Lee Scott oh, a whole lot with of with Tommy
4: Rich. Oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe somebody else with Lee Scott. Um, but I got to no, note. I got to. You got to give credit to uh, the production people here. I don't know if you noticed, but the good guys have the blue background on the interviews, and the bad guys are in that dark black area where it looks more decorated with like the netting and the the ghouls and everything like that. So they're really. The bright, the brightness of the blue for the, the faces and the darkness of the for the heels is really cool, definitely. Yeah, it um, seems
3: like Chris Cruz is uh, doing the interviews with the babies, and I think Gordon Sully's stuck with most of, if not all, the heels. And I like Gordon Sully's area better. It does a lot, a lot cooler than Chris Cruz's. While you're talking about uh, the looks and the production, I think the entrance, I mean, it's pretty basic, but I really like the entrance. It really looks big time, just the way the guys are coming out.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks great. Meanwhile, so we're stuck a lot going on, but... Uh, no.
3: Well, we're stuck in this match. Different. Tommy Rich is just in limbo here. He feuded, air quotes there, with the total package Lex Luger pretty much after Steamboat quit the company after the Great American Bash pay-per-view. And Luger was stuck working Tommy Rich for August, September, and most, of, I guess, some of October on the house shows, on the Clash, things of that nature. No real background other than Tommy Rich was gunning for the belt. And now the Cuban tries a reverse body block. So at least well, we knew it wouldn't take forever. It was, there it is, the forever armbar from the wildfire. Somebody say something about armbars. Tommy Rich applying his favorite hold.
2: Oh.
7: And while
3: we have
4: this fest.
3: You know, I think I would if I'm fantasy booking this, it's Tommy Rich. If I have to have Tommy Rich on the show, I think Norman's the the best choice left. For Tommy, I'd love to see him squash Tommy. Look at Tommy, he won't even take the bump to the floor. Cuban throws him outside and Tommy just, whoa, whoa.
4: Oh my God.
3: Everything you'd expect out of a Cuban Uh, uh, and Tommy Rich match there. Uh, Cuban didn't get close enough. I'll I'll give Tommy that much. But Tommy can't even shoot over into a sunset and both guys just terrible. And yes, this is one thing Tommy can't screw up. It's back to the arm bar.
7: This matches everything I anticipated.
3: That's not a yep. good thing.
4: <laughs> no. If your fantasy booking Tommy Rich isn't on my card. I know you prefaced it by saying if he has to be on the card, Norman makes sense, but they must want to protect Tommy Rich for some reason. I don't know why, but
3: And you know what? I'm not even do. I don't want Fidel Sierra, I don't want David Sierra on my pay per views here in, in nineteen eighty nine. But if he had to be on here, wouldn't it be, make perfect sense to get, make this the flag match with Ranger Ross that we have upcoming on, on World Championship yeah. Wrestling? But I suppose then we couldn't have that That's dream match. What a dream match. And back to the arm bar for a third time now is the wildfire. The fun never stops with Tommy Rich.
7: I got in my notes here.
3: And I read this. I didn't, I didn't listen to it myself. I, this is one of the matches I did not want to watch twice. So I did not, I did not go into detail and, and actually watch this match and take notes. But I noted, uh, according to DeMeltz and from another source, that boring chance started before the match even got going. So the fans in Philly already knew what was coming. And they weren't wrong.
4: You can even, you can even see them in the front row. They're really not even paying attention. They're looking around, talking to each other not really giving this match the time of day. And I can't say I blame him.
3: No, I'm sure the crowd's dead right now. I'm not even going to bother to play the audio, but I just, I don't know what they were thinking, putting this match on the card. So there were better matches for either guy to be had. If they really wanted to get one of these guys on the show, than against one another. And Tommy basically just body slammed himself. He threw himself up over Sierra's shoulder (laughs) before the Cuban even picked him up. And where are we at? It's the arm bar for the fourth time. At least the fourth time.
4: <laughs> you see a lot of people back there walking. This is piss break time. This is what I call
3: run. time to go get a beer. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking the same exact thing. This is this is absolutely <laughs> when I. This is when I would be getting up and doing whatever I need to be doing. It just there's no place for it. It's inexplicable how this makes the show. And I know Jim Ross has talked in the past that some of these guys had such high. Uh, guarantees on their contracts, even if they had nothing for them, they would still find a ways to work them onto the pay-per-views to make them earn their pay. Uh, These guys, I can't imagine. I know the Cubans not working for a high 6 in figure or anything like that. I don't know what Tommy's getting paid here. I can't imagine either one are getting paid enough that there need to be on the pay-per-view, but I don't know. I just, I don't understand the logic. I wasn't in the booking room, but I would have loved to have been in the booking room when they came up with this one.
4: Meanwhile, Iron Sheik's making probably six figures to be at home.
3: (laughs) No, probably about it. The guy sucks so bad he got hired. He got sent home. (laughs) The Turner brass said, we can't pay this guy six figures to sit at home. Make him come back and work TV. They bring him back, and he's so god-awful. Ric Flair has no choice but to send him home a second time in a matter of, like, five months. It's crazy.
4: So that logic doesn't make any sense. You can do it for one guy, but you can't do it for somebody as terrible as Tommy Ridge. And you pay attention? You are an idiot. Iron Sheik.
3: And you
2: pay attention? You are an idiot.
3: You are an idiot, Steve. Iron Sheik doesn't like what you're saying. But it's no fault of his brother. I mean, he gets paid to sit at home, and then like, you know, you know the old story. The contract rolls over because he's been sitting at home so long, they forget he's on the books. And so in 1990, when his contract contract's supposed to expire, it goes on another year. And that's why we don't see Colonel Mustafa until post-WrestleMania 7. I'm sure Vince would have got him way before then for the Iraqi angle uh, otherwise. We may have even seen Hogan versus the Iron Sheik at WrestleMania 7. Think about that. Oh, Lord. Nothing beats Sheik tugboat, though. I would have rather seen that. That would have been really intriguing. The Cuban looking More intriguing
4: up. than this match right here.
3: Absolutely. You know, while we're in this match, I, I wanted to point out, too, I was talking about buy rates earlier and how Havoc is, this is its highest buy rate with 175,000 buys since the Great American Bash in 88. Listen to this. So they do a 1.77, uh, 1.77 buy rate. That's 175,000 fans that purchased this pay-per-view. The highest buy rate until next year's Great American Bash 90 with Sting winning the title from Ric Flair, which does 200,000 fans. And they won't touch that again until 1994, the bash, where Hulk Hogan comes to WCW and wrestle Ric Flair, which does 225,000 fans. So this is like the third, maybe fourth highest buy rate all the way into the Hogan era of WCW. So somebody did something right here on Halloween Havoc. Unfortunately, they don't follow it up well. With the ideas going into Starcade and the Iron Man tournaments.
4: Yeah, it's ridiculous. Why would you kill all your momentum that you built for the last six months for a shitty tournament that does mean nothing?
3: Yeah, talk about dropping the ball here and and Cuban took a bump to the floor. Actually he took that crotch bump before Tommy even got over there. So Cuban crotched himself on the top rope. Tommy got over there a little late. I don't know. Irish hope. No, they're switching. Well, here we go. Oh, are we getting that? So, oh, I thought we were going to get the same rotunda spot again for a second there. Oh, here. Hey, somebody say something about Thez Press, Steve. Tommy Rich gets the win with the shitty Thez Press. I wonder what Luthes oh, had well, to say about bastard. this. That oh, was awful. Just terrible. Tommy leaves immediately. <laughs> One guy stands up to give Tommy a high five. Nobody else even gets out of their seats. Tommy knows this match was the shits. And the crowd didn't make a damn noise. So Tommy picks up the win. As the Cuban there missed the, you'll see the replay. Cuban missed the crossbody and it's into the Fez press. Standing by shortly is Gordon Soley with the fabulous Freebirds. And even they sound more tempting and appealing than this Tommy Rich match. Let's go to Gordon.
1: Tommy Rich looking mighty good with that uh, vertical press. But in, gentlemen, in just about 60 seconds, it all goes on the line. Let
8: me tell you something, baby. Every night the Freebirds go in the ring. It all goes on the line.
6: And it's the same old stinking story, baby. We still remain champions.
8: We're the greatest tag team in the world tonight. And we're going to be the greatest tag team in the world in the
5: morning. Take it, Michael. Well, you know, it's like this. So many women, so little time. And like Prince said, it is the sign of the times. The Dynamic
6: Dudes are a great young team, but when they meet the Freebirds, in
5: just a matter of moments, you're going to find out why they call us Fabulous. You're going to find out why they call us Bad Street. You're going to find out why or what Mama and Daddy warned you about a long time ago. And, Gordon, you've seen it it and
6: rocket for many years.
1: I have indeed, and I'll tell you what, their palace could turn into a, a mansion of misery tonight, that's for sure. All right, time for this world championship match. Let's go to the ring.
3: Have another shot, Gordon. And sorry, man, I don't typically play the Freebird promos, but I needed to break the monotony that was the Tommy Rich match. And you have to question this oh, undercard. A this undercard's, uh, well, you see Jim Cornette coming out here with the dynamic dudes. Of course, he's not their manager, but he's their advisor. Got to make sure to point that Come out. Come on, Shane.
4: Take a ride on that skateboard, buddy. Well, you, know, you can do it.
3: Speaking of Shane, and maybe he won't. Uh, he's working with two broken bones in his arm here, thanks to your buddy Sid Vicious, who, who, believe this or not, dropped Shane awkwardly the wrong way during a spot on a house show. And Shane, a couple of cracked bones in his arm, but he's working the match anyway. And that should be noticeable here, as it has been on TV. He's got a, I don't know if it's necessarily you want to refer to it as a brace, but he has something on his arm there helping out uh, the injury. And he tries to do a few spots with his left arm uh, when he's right-handed. And so things don't look exactly as pretty as they can be, at least at least recently on TV. So I'm assuming it's going to continue here. Let's just hope uh, they make it through. I mean, against the Freebirds uh, uh, already. It's uh, look at this card, man. You had Zinc and Rotunda, Tommy Rich and the Cuban. Now it's the Birds and the Dudes. Not exactly the most stellar matches of all times here on the undercard.
4: No, the undercard's pretty weak. Uh, The birds that get the pyro, huh? They get it started for us.
3: Well, they are the world champions,
4: after all. Those fabulous freebirds. I'll say they, they look awesome here. I ain't going to lie.
3: Well, th- you can do the that.
4: The gear here with the black and blue is pretty sweet, and all white. They look yeah, pretty yeah. cool.
3: Yeah, and then the bell will ring, and Michael Hayes will step in at some yeah, point. The... And...
4: <laughs> well, yeah, that's a given. They can look like a million bucks if they want to, but they sure as hell ain't going to wrestle like a million bucks. I'll tell
3: you what, you would believe Michael Hayes' hype here. You would believe they are the greatest tag team of all time if you listen to this crowd. It's not because the Freebirds are over, because it's been proven for months they're not. It's just how much this crowd vehemently hates. The dynamic dudes that the Birds are just absolutely, insanely over. And I, this is the match I did watch before we did the watch-along, because I wanted to take some timestamps so that I know when to pick up the audio, I really got to let everybody that's listening to this episode of the grenade listen to some of this, and you as well, Steve. Since you haven't watched this in a while, I'm sure you're going to eat this up as well. It's really fun. How loud these fans reject the dudes. The hot tag is hilarious, and some of the other stuff in between is great too. You even hear the announcers try to cover it up a little bit, but there's chance of DDT. <laughs> there's uh, it's uh, the freebirds get the chant freebirds. It's uh, it's crazy. To think how unover the dudes are. they hate the baby faces so much that they, they cheer the, the freebirds by default.
4: Well, give it about five or six years, and they'll be cheering that dude on the right there. It's okay.
3: Some people will. This, is, this might be first, Shane's first real injury in the business. I'm not really sure. I don't really remember a whole lot about you know what he did in the UWF and elsewhere and down in Alabama and things in regards to if he had any injuries. uh, I don't remember Shane really rocking any real injuries up until now. Of course, then it's funny. We see Shane injured in the WWF as Dean Douglas. And then eventually, you know, a lot of other injuries piled up later in his career in the tail end of his run in ECW. So Shane with a slew of injuries throughout his career, but yeah, there it is. You see that, that sleeve he's got on that right arm there.
4: All things same arm that he used in ECW, right? When he had that big ass Elbow brace for the oh, summer of I, I think '98,
3: right? Right, yeah. He b- broke about everything in his body that, that, that year. I think. I think that was I'm the, not surprised. Same year he had the the torn pall- broken palate in his mouth. I don't even know how the hell you do that. Shane though, trying to uh, trying to put happened. on Michael Hayes with a sunset flip. So Michael Hayes has already done more than Tommy Rich. At least he's he's gotten away with making it look like a real move.
7: And the crowd here,
4: yeah, solidly well, we behind one. the
3: birds. What's that? I
4: was just going to say, um, I didn't know, but Shane and Shane Douglas came up. Missy Height and Eddie Gilbert came up with his name. They was trying yeah, to come Shane, up with something. He was traveling from, I think it was in Alabama or something. Right. They was Yeah, that's to that's, that's where painful.
3: Eddie was booking. And, yeah. Yeah, Eddie was high on, on yeah. Shane Douglas.
4: Well, obviously his real name's Troy Martin, so they didn't like that. I can't remember where they, I can't remember this exact story of how they got to shane but ooh, uh, that was not douglas pretty from michael douglas at wall street
3: oh okay that was not pretty so there he- i'm not sure what i think hayes was looking for that jumping clothesline but shane stuck out his bad arm to try to clothesline hayes as well and that's just the first yeah. and ooh, that was not pretty either shane having to use his left arm for that neck breaker and hayes i eh, did the best he could i guess i can't believe i'm saying that for michael hayes defending michael hayes there It's just not pretty when you're out, but this is, you know, goes back in time. Q, this is your opportunity to tell the WrestleMania 5 Macho Man story about guys working injured.
4: (laughs) Well, I was going to use a different one. (laughs) Oh,
3: all right. I'm all ears.
4: uh, Well, I mean, to me, like the Macho Man makes sense because it's relevant. It's the same year. Um, A lot of guys are doing it at the time. It it wouldn't sound right if I was like, uh, well, CM Punk worked with the staph infection or. I could also compare it to Steve Austin and Undertaker taking a month off heading into the King of the Ring in 98 so they can get to their matches due to staph infections. So that stuff doesn't seem relevant. And, like, the biggest one is obviously the guy who's in the main event of WrestleMania, so it does fit. That's why I use it. But it's neither here nor there. Shane's doing his best here with the injury. and Yeah, uh, I
3: should I should point out Shane doesn't have a staph infection, just the, the, the broken bones. But the, the point I was getting at, and I'm the same as you, is – the, they're working injured. They're working through these injuries. They're, they're out there telling their story. They're not going to sit at home unless they absolutely have to, like Funk with his staph infection when he was hospitalized with it. Um,
4: Damn, they got unless, amputated. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So unless they absolutely have to miss a show, these guys aren't missing shows back then. They're, they're, they're collecting the paychecks and they're getting themselves over. <laughs> well, the dudes are trying to get themselves over, although I can't believe Shane just tried that with that arm. Uh.
4: I can't either. I can't believe he actually was able to do it.
3: Yeah. I mean, he pulled it off. It's amazing. Day and night and day. Shane Douglas here, 89, even 90. What you saw in the WWF, Shane Douglas, the original run he had there. And what he winds up being, 92, 93, when he's back in WCW with Steamboat. And then obviously over to ECW, just uh, day and night, uh, Shane Douglas. Just two different guys, really. I mean, as far as their wrestling goes.
4: I thought he was really good with Steamboat. Uh, oh no i'm not saying he, he
3: wasn't good that was just a different style
4: yeah obviously i think he toned it down because he didn't want to steal from steamboat steamboat was the high flyer and things like that i could see him trying to tone it down just be more sound in the rain. but um they got a double leap plus fog, he had anyway. that running
3: oh let's listen actually, to this yeah, they
4: actually timed that one good
3: let's well this isn't there you go <laughs>
6: And it could be happening right here. We could be looking at the new World Tag Team Champions in that ring, Johnny and Shane. Boy, they've got all the enthusiasm of youth, and it really comes to the forefront.
3: Enthusiasm of youth. Bob Cottle trying to put over the crowd without pointing out that they hate the dudes. As you saw, Johnny completely whiffed. You just put over them being in sync for a spot, and then the very next spot, that <laughs> Shane Douglas throws a dropkick, and Johnny Ace is like two seconds behind. And then the crowd let him have it, and then we get a Freebirds
7: chant.
4: Johnny's just too dang big to be doing double-team moves with Shane. We've,
3: we've talked about <laughs> they that do them they can, so much. They
4: can do double-team moves uh, like this, where they're not together. But when they, so whenever they do moves together, uh, it always messes up somehow. And just Johnny's too
3: big. You'd think after this many months, they'd figure that out. That these moves don't work, and they'd move on. But they just continue to insist on trying to do these simultaneous moves. uh, These stereo moves uh, at the same time. And it just never works out. Johnny's always a step behind. Or they do a spot where Johnny's so much taller than Shane that it just looks awkward. Because they're trying to do the same exact thing. And one guy's a head taller than the other. So... It's very interesting to see, uh, you know, everything we have going on with with the dudes here as they have had months and months to figure this out and still no dice. <laughs>
2: nice spot
4: there. What the hell's up with their boots?
3: Whose boots? The dudes' boots?
4: Yeah, it looks like they have, like, stuff over top of them. They look weird. I don't Maybe know. They, I think uh, they got them painted or whatever. But like the, the, to- the toes boots? of them look different.
3: Oh, here we go, another one. The- let's let's pick this up too. Hold on. And Johnny now
5: controlling both fans.
6: <laughs> Flip them both one with a head scissors one with a headlock simultaneously.
3: You wouldn't know they were the baby faces there, Steve. These these this crowd is letting them have it. Every time they get any offense in, they're just shitting all over them, especially Johnny Ace.
4: Yeah. I don't think they mind Shane too much, but Johnny's the one that <laughs> – he, he's the one that seems like he's disinterested in things like that, just not buying into it. Shane I can see trying a little bit, but Johnny just seems to be going through the motions. Like Even when he puts on these headlocks and goes in for the, the tie-up, he's just so slow.
3: Yeah, we got more audio right here.
5: Nice football tackle by Johnny. Going behind, they're really controlling the action here. He's got him rolled up, one, two. Ooh. What a right hand Oh no, left hand. Michael Hayes with a blatant cheek left, right to the jaw of Johnny. And Johnny Ace is now on Dream Street.
6: They got him in bad trouble now. He looks like he's out. Out of the ring, down on the floor.
5: This match for the Tag Team Championship of the World. The challengers right there. The dynamic dudes. And what we could say very conservatively is the biggest match of their career. And Michael Hayes with another cheap shot.
6: Well, you can expect anything from Hayes
3: and Garvin. This is absolutely insane. This is what uh, Vince would call bizarro world in Canada. I mean, the the, the birds have realized that they're over now. Jimmy Garvin with the shit-eating grin and Michael Hayes over there gyrating his hips at the fans to draw more cheers. You know Michael Hayes is eating this up. Absolutely eating this up.
4: Oh, yeah, he's loving it. He's finally over. (laughs) Well, I haven't been over all year.
3: Certainly since his heel turn, gonna, but even debatably before that.
4: Yeah, he's, he's going to take advantage of it. Uh, every last ounce of it, he's going to get it all. So I'm not surprised by that. I would yeah. too.
3: You wouldn't even know they're the heels either because Michael Hayes, now that he realizes how over they are, he is really catering to the fans playing into this. And he has to feel great coming. I, I can only imagine by the end of this match when he goes backstage, he's got to go up to everyone. Did you hear how over we were?
4: <laughs> They're probably like, dude, it's Philly. <laughs> they hate the dudes.
3: Yeah, it's probably like, it's not how over you are. It's just how much people hate the dudes. But Michael Hayes will put a spin on anything, as you'll know, as you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> we got oh, some yeah. more audio coming up here in a second as well. This is uh, Hayes and Garvin heading into the home stretch here, working over Johnny Ace? Let's let's take a listen to this.
2: What
5: Men don't have the preparation to do. I'm trying to think back. I don't recall when the last time I saw somebody block
3: And so we get a hot tag now. I want to point out how dead the crowd is for this hot. It's, it's crazy. We'll, we'll, we'll listen to this and we'll, we'll talk all about it.
5: Goes one half of the world.
3: unbelievably awkward is all i can come up with here i felt so bad for shane douglas getting that hot tag have you ever seen a hot tag where the baby face comes in throwing drop kicks left and right and the crowd's booing the living shit out of you for doing it
4: no it's almost like it's like like almost like
3: it's like the uh, wrong audio track <laughs> is being
4: played it's insane that was it's, a nice finish though Oh, the finish was great, out. yeah.
3: Yeah, I thought, I thought the entire yeah, exactly. finish was really well done. Good job by all the guys involved.
4: Yeah. <laughs> That's the I best thing I can tell you about this. Injury.
7: Yeah,
3: I'm sure Shane could have done a little more early a lot on.
4: Better.
3: Right. Yeah. But yeah, I just never seen anything. There's another great, this is a great angle of the finish. Michael Hayes tripping up ace, Garvin landing on top, and pinning Shane Douglas. We're going to go to Chris Cruz for one of the worst promos of the year. It's these Steiner Brothers.
0: Thank you, Jim Ross. A big surprise there. Much of the wrestling world thought this would be the night the Dynamic Dudes took home the gold. It was not to be, but there is still a big future in store for the Dynamic Dudes. In just a few minutes, the world will see doom. Of course, the Steiners will see them inside the ring. Uh, my question to you, Scott Steiner, is how are you going to fight a team you have never seen before? We have no strategy. We, have, we need no strategy. Tonight
6: is a total wreck, and that's when you're playing our game. Because when there's no rules, no anything, you're in our ball game, and you're playing our game. That's the way we like it. Yeah, you know, we got Doom, and that's a good name for those guys, Doom, because when we get done with them, it's going to be finished. Uh, we like a good fight. Who cares
0: what happens? Who cares what happens to man? As long as we get in, get the fight, get to beat up, so we just do what we got to do. Rick Steiner, many voices, thinking that woman will be able to distract you and cause your defeat. No, she did it to me one time. I, if I get her a chance to get in there, if I get her a chance, I'm going to take her and get it. To All her. right, fans, back now to the ring live in Philadelphia.
3: What'd you make of that promo there, Steve?
4: What the hell is Scott Steiner saying? I have no idea. No, Sc- Scott was There's never no a rules. great promo,
3: certainly before Big Papa Pump. At least those were fun. Uh, Scott was never a great promo ever, but that was probably his worst one yet.
4: That was bad. Yeah, it's, I don't know what the hell was He's they were rocking the singlet, though.
3: Yeah, it's the debut of the Scott Steiner singlet. So they're in unison now. This is like another step in the, re- the direction of the Steiner brothers we all really know and love. Scotty had been wearing trunks up until now. Of course, they've recently lost Missy Hyatt. And now Scotty's kind of forming the uh, getting in the gear of his brother, so to speak, where both, both of them are in singlets. They both have the Michigan jackets. And I pointed out lately, too, the, the Frankensteiner has a little more snap to it. Hasn't been named yet, but uh, the move is starting to look
7: more and more like a real finisher.
4: They even have the matching like white on the side there, so good, good on them. Man.
3: Missy Hyatt had the boing, so woman gets the cork pop. And <laughs> thanks to Jim Cornette, anyway. This is it, man. This is the debut. We've been waiting weeks now to figure it out, to see just who is this tag team she speaks of. Who is Doom? And I love these capes. These capes are pretty cool looking. I, I'm not a big fan of a lot of capes in wrestling, but I like these.
4: And I like how she's front and center. It's all about her. You can't even really see them, but the spotlight's on her. So it's just more of what they wanted of woman. I yeah, feel the, like. story, yeah so. the story
3: they're trying to tell. It is all about women. And these guys are basically hired hands to do her bidding. And of course, anybody who's been following the grenade knows that Kevin Sullivan was originally penciled in here as part of the Doom Stable. But the day before the pay-per-view, Jim Heard pulled Kevin from the stable. He felt uh, he would overshadow woman and their plan was to get her over and not Kevin Sullivan. Which, it's, it, as you pointed out, it, it does make sense. Kevin would kill her in the promo department and he just sticks out. I mean, everybody knows who Kevin yeah. Sullivan is. Certainly here in the NWA, they've been, he's been here forever. And uh I get it from that uh that uh, you know, from that area, but at the same time I feel like he could have really added not just to do the whole doom stable, but to, to be there by her side to kind of help her when needed. Not that he wasn't off camera helping her, but I just felt like Kevin Sullivan at ringside or Kevin Sullivan with woman, it would have made a, a even a better dynamic. But I get the, the I get Jim Hurt's point. If he if he ever did anything that made a little yeah. bit of sense, it was pulling Kevin from the, the, the gimmick because it really is all about woman.
4: Yeah, and I think, too, like, I could see, like, not, not right away having Kevin Sullivan a part of it. I think if they waited, you know, right. let her establish herself, and then she just brings in another hired gun, and it's Kevin Sullivan. But I think it they bring them in together. Oh.
3: That might have been the end of bring Doom. It might, <laughs> might have been the shortest run ever. <laughs> I can't believe Ron Simmons or Butch Reed, And speaking of Butch Reed, uh, rest in peace, Butch Reed. Uh, passed away was it yeah. yesterday or
4: yeah, two yesterday. days ago it's crazy. Yeah. We was talking about him on the grenade show before this one, uh, wishing him best in his health and everything, and then the next day he was gone. So um yeah, rest in peace, hacksaw Butch Reed. Um two heart attacks in a short period of time and I don't know if you ever I don't know what the exact story was or why what happened, but uh, that's that's gonna take a toll and obviously it, it took him from us, so um uh, rest easy.
3: Yeah, one of my favorites, and I like I mentioned in the last episode of the Grenade, when when Doom split, I was on Team Butch, so I always backed Butch Reed. I loved him, even though he didn't really get to do a whole lot in the WWF. I was always a big fan of his in the WWF. Um, loved his stuff here in the NWA and Doom, the entire run. I was actually upset that he kind of disappeared right after the Thunder Cage match, or the Thunderdome, or whatever the hell they called it there at Super Brawl, between the two Doom members, Simmons and Reed. I hated when Dusty came in and he immediately split Doom up. I just... I don't know if he saw saw star power in Ron Simmons or if Dusty just, you know, if it wasn't going his way, he was getting rid of it.
4: Yeah. uh, Who knows?
3: This is the infancy of Doom. They've only had one TV taping squash match prior to this. So only a handful of fans in one city know what Doom looked like going into this pay-per-view. And here it's obvious immediately, at least to me here, as we're watching, obviously, we already know who Doom are. It's Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. I'm not, not fooling anybody there, but Ron Simmons had been on TV up until like two weeks ago, two, three weeks ago. Uh, so I think it was pretty obvious that one of these guys was Ron Simmons.
4: Yeah. I agree. Butch Reed's been gone for a little bit of time. Uh you remember the last time we seen him, but I think yeah, Butch. I think Butch, Butch tell, left like,
3: right around the beginning of July. Right, right at the beginning of the uh, bash tour. Butch Reed was uh, reportedly suspended for what reason? I don't know, but he just basically disappeared and didn't renew his contract at the end of the summer. Uh, but now he's back.
4: Big time clotheslines. It's by Rick there.
7: Those weren't clotheslines. Those were and- Steiner lines. And Doom having a conversation. She
3: does. I'm glad she got rid of that 80s poofy hair in favor of uh, whatever she's got going on there.
4: I don't mind the 80s poofy hair.
3: (laughs) I don't either, but I just, I liked, uh, I like this look better on Woman.
7: I
4: think too, uh, like she, she's, uh, obviously she, she lets it all hang out, (laughs) so to speak on TV and not as you know proper or whatever but now we're at the pay-per-view so she has the sequin dress and the arm sleeves and her hair's done differently her makeup's on point the the gaudy necklaces so she's definitely they're really doing a good job of even emphasizing with what how she's dressing how important the pay-per-view is so yeah, woman um, looks like she's ready to welcome. go
3: go to the ball here yeah it's funny how much offense the Steiners are getting early on, but obviously we'll eventually see the Heels, I'm sure, take over with Heat. It's just crazy to see that they basically almost killed Simmons and Reed uh, 30 seconds into the match with those uh, released Germans. <laughs> so it's uh, fu- funny to see two guys as big as Doom being manhandled like that right at the beginning of the match. That, that would have made more sense maybe late in the match. I was really shocked to see them get tossed like that. <laughs> I mean, you're making your debut. And you're eating a uh, release German. Whoa, <laughs> both guys go down <laughs> from that headbutt.
4: Well, it makes sense because, you know, the Steiners are pissed off for Doom attacking them and doing that to Scott. So uh, it makes sense in this in the in story of things. It, it makes sense why the Steiners were hot and heavy as soon as they came in.
3: Nice suplex throw there by Rick. Yeah, for anyone who's just a big fan of watch-alongs and doesn't really follow podcasts and the story of everything going into this, Basically, a woman started off as a plant, a fan in the crowd, a nerdy fan, mind you. Uh, It was all a ploy to get into. Oh, oh, Scott off the middle of the rope. Nice clothesline. Steiner line. Steiner line. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Sorry, you go ahead.
3: No, no. Yeah, I'm just catching everybody up. I'm sure most everybody already knows she was a plant in the crowd. She played the nerdy fan. She got into Rick Steiner's heart. She wanted to manage the Steiners to the titles, but she realized they had a weakness, and that was their heart. And so she didn't want the Steiners anymore. So she hired these goons, these, this doom. Boom! Stone Cold Stunner! Was that Ron or Butch there? Busting That's out Ron. the old Ron Simmons with the old uh, Stunner there on Rick Steiner to escape.
2: Nicely done.
3: So a woman goes and she transforms herself into what we see now. She originally was Robin Green. We learned that was a fake name. Go figure. But she's really actually, her name is Woman, apparently. Or at least that's what she claims at this point. Oh, Rick Steiner turned that's inside the out. Rick there. Yeah. That was a Doom line.
4: <laughs> For sure.
3: Scotty, of course, gets into the limo, gets the beatdown from Doom, and then has his brother off camera punch him in the eye. Yes, Scott Steiner had Rick Steiner punch him in the eye to swell it shut in order to get the gimmick over, get the angle over. The things the Steiner brothers will go to.
4: Yeah, everybody talks about how tough they are. and <laughs> They're right up there with the Hakus of the world that you don't want to mess with them. So, no well, thanks. Hakus
3: just brute strength too. just grab you and rip, rip your eyeball out or literally rip your eyeball out or pull your teeth out or bite your nose off. And These are things Haku actually did, by the way. The Steiners will grab you and they'll, they'll probably break your bones. No, probably to it. <laughs> they, they would break your bones. So a little bit different. Than the Haku style, but equally dangerous, I'm sure.
4: Yeah, no thanks. I want no part of it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> not the Doom, sure it, not, not the Doom, no or any Haku, slouches. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know that I'd screw with any of these four guys. Oh my God, another nasty. <laughs>
4: oh <laughs>
3: man, you got to stop letting them do that to you. Jeez. Scott Steiner just on, mauling <laughs> both members of Doom. Ron Simmons really eating it here. Yeah, he is. What an what a interesting story for Ron Simmons over this last year. Got lumped into a tag team with Eddie Gilbert for the U.S. Tag Team Title Tournament after the Sheep Herders decide to, to bail out to go to the WWF and become the Bushwhackers. Ron disappears after that off TV for several months, comes back basically as a, a very underneath guy on the card. Maybe Not necessarily a job guy, but he wasn't really doing a whole lot. They finally decide they're going to turn him heel, and they offer him the opportunity to team with Butch Reed and be managed by Teddy Long, ironically as a team called the Ebony Experience. Of course, later on, we'd see the Ebony Experience, Booker T, and Stevie Ray and Global. But Ron Simmons turned it down, basically threatened to quit the company. He went home, called their bluff. Well, they weren't bluffing. And they, they told Ron, you can stay at home. Next thing we know, Ron Simmons is back with the Iron Sheik. And it's clearly, <laughs> some, somebody was made humble there. I'll let you guess who it was. And uh, the new idea comes up that, hey, you can team with Butch Reed again under masks. As Doom, and you can have a woman stand in front of you. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just after Ron Simmons turns down the ebony experience, it seems like this is probably something else he wouldn't have agreed to. Then again, the Iron Sheik was probably something he wouldn't have agreed to either had he not been humble I
4: don't know why you wouldn't want this. I mean, it's a big time angle. You're working with the Steiners, and I just mean a big time person.
3: Ron wasn't being thrown a bone. For anything. And then they threw him a bone and he said, no, thanks. And that's basically the the point I'm getting at is he had no, he had no point in in being able to say that. I can't believe he did, to be honest with you. Uh, He thought he had more clout than he did. And he found out that that wasn't the case. And I I agree with you. I think this is great. I love Doom. So I'm happy that they wind up doing it. I just don't understand the point of (laughs) turning it down the first time.
4: Dusty seems to be his boy, so I'm wondering if he felt like he had more clout than he did because Dusty was around, and then Dusty left, and the clout's gone. Because <laughs> it seems like he was somebody Dusty really liked, because he, uh, he was there with Dusty early, like you know, eight, late 87, 88, there before Dusty left, and then as soon as Dusty comes back, he splits up Doom, and Ro- Doom and Ron Simmons is challenging for the world title at Halloween Havoc 91 with Dusty in his corner, so um it just makes you wonder if that's where he got that from dusty was his guy so maybe he, he could save him but dusty's not there no more and he took it, he tried to take advantage and it didn't work out
3: yeah it's a it's a good question i just i don't think he really did a whole lot when dusty had the book either i'm not saying dusty wasn't uh, supporting him or waiting to groom him i mean ron simmons just looks like a you know a, a, what a specimen it's, you certainly buy yeah. him as a, as a star it's just being as green as he was in that area, you really couldn't do a whole lot with him, so I think tag team here really helps him out. You know, another year, year and a half here with Butch Reed. you I I, so can't do anything but help Ron establish himself and kind of get, get his feet wet in a, an actual push. I mean, they eventually become the world tag team champions.
7: They work with the horsemen.
4: Oh that, That's a great feud.
3: <laughs> oh, the great matches that's... on Halloween Havoc and Starcade.
4: Oh, yeah, I love them.
3: Rick trying to get in here, Nick Patrick shooing him away, and now Doom's going to capitalize here on Scotty, I would imagine. Throws him over the top rope. What a heel move that is, because that's typically supposed to be a disqualification in the NWA. But Patrick doesn't see it, and Butch Reed takes advantage.
4: I'm also glad uh, they put up um, wrestling challenge on the network now. You can really get that early Butch Reed with Slick, the natural gimmick, early on when he's in WWF. So it's really cool to go back and be able to watch that and really excellent quality. So.
3: Yeah. The only thing unfortunate about that is butch Reed hated the gimmick. He hated having to dye his hair. It messed his hair up. He wasn't a fan of the whole entire thing. He wasn't happy from the sound of things. He wasn't really happy. Basically his entire run in the WWF, Uh which, you know, was a short run, which is unfortunate given. Oh my God. What a, <laughs> he looked tremendous. I just can't believe he didn't get a, a bigger run than he ended up getting there. Of course, the story goes he was supposed to be Intercontinental Champion, though, and he screwed that up. So, what you gonna do?
4: Yeah, yeah. What can you do? But whether he liked it or not, at least it's out there. You can go. Out oh, and I watch agree. It if You want to see? Oh, some, I, like I said, I was a
3: fan. Through. So when I'm watching it, I'm not thinking about Butch being pissed off. I'm just going, "This is cool." <laughs> I just I learned the the lesson the the hard way of watching Wrestling Challenge at nighttime in my house because there's one guy all over those episodes and that's uh, king curtis uh ikea the uh, the master you might know him as in the dungeon of doom uh, the uh guy that shots sullivan well he gets the promos there as he's the wizard managing kamala and sika in the wwf in the late in late 86 and his promos are all over those shows and it wakes my wife up and she yells she's like that's irritating so i, I can't watch wrestling challenge at night so I have to wait until the, the daytime. His voice is uh, something that you have to digest. You have to get accustomed to. That's for sure. Definitely a unique character is the King Curtis.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I love his voice. So I enjoy watching the challenges. What stinks is I'm almost done with the 13. I think I only had like maybe two or three left. So hopefully they just kind of alternate between superstars and wrestling challenge from here on out. If we even get any more dumps after this.
3: Yeah, after the after they moved the peacock. I'm kind of nervous
4: about the peacock move. Yeah,
3: we'll see what happens. Well, you figure for at least 10 years he referred to Hulk Hogan as the rare white bengal tiger. It started all the way back in 86 WWF. Yeah. We'll get
7: yeah, back
3: yeah. to get back to this match here though. I just thought that was funny since you brought up Butch what Reed there.
4: Talking about.
3: <laughs> Spike Pile Driver. Uh, What's that? Ooh.
4: I, I I lost my train of thought. I couldn't even remember what you was even talking about uh, with the white Bengal tiger. It's <laughs> just what he referred I, to Hogan, what I Hogan as. What he said about Hogan
3: Chad. was the rare yeah. white Bengal tiger. He, you know, he's the cool. uh, the golden goose, as the undertaker likes to
4: call him. Yeah. Makes sense. Doom slowing things down. The peacock move but, has me nervous, man.
3: Yeah, I'm worried about these watch-alongs moving forward with the peacock, but I'm sure it'll all work out. As Hopefully, doom have a good hand on scott steiner at this point in the match but oh i spoke too soon scotty looks like simmons telegraphed a backdrop there and scott steiner may be l- lunging for a hot tag in a matter of seconds we might see the uh, rick rick steiner explode on doom oh here it comes and now we got rick in the ring
7: and butch reed on the other side
3: Big back body drop. Big back drop. <laughs> Big back body drop. Oh, he punched him, so that must be a what a maneuver. Oh, there it is, a Steiner line. Butch had no. Oh, no, oh. No, oh my God. He gave it to Simmons.
4: Ooh. <laughs> oh. Ron had no choice but no to No choice down on but that one. to bump. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that's
3: Ron. <laughs> Boom! That Steiner. It. Oh, my God. Ooh. See what I meant? A little snap? Holy shit. That was, <laughs> that was the best Frankensteiner that was to date.
4: Brothers style yeah, right that there. was.
3: Yes, and there's the power slam. Rick, should be going for the cover there, brother. Keep an eye out for that we'll evil on woman. The on the, uh, Speaking of which, woman up <laughs> on the apron, and Rick Steiner celebrate Oh, uh, he sees woman now, and he promise. Oh, whoa. Was that a motion for a German <laughs> or a motion for something completely different? I
4: think it's for a German, but... You can take it however you want. (laughs) Woman
3: sliding something into Butch Reed's mask. Steiner comes back over. Already starting the gimmick. And boom, loaded headbutt. And Rick Steiner goes down. Butch Reed falls on top. One, two, three. This one's over. And Doom will pick up the win in 15 minutes and 52 seconds. And I think, obviously, without needless to say, in their debut, Doom absolutely needed to win this match.
4: I think so too, and I also think it had to be this way. Woman was seeing her guys struggle, so she she's the one who really help them win. It was her,
3: and she looks good there so. coming off coming off the apron. Doom pick up the win. It's not decisive. The Steiners uh, stay strong. We're obviously going to get rematches galore, I'm sure. And uh, looking forward to it, honestly. It was a initial a good initial match. I could I could ask for a little more offense. By the Steiners, I think. But uh, what they gave us uh, made up for. Those Germans were nasty. And Steiner lines galore. And that Frankensteiner easily, uh, without without question, the best Frankensteiner to date.
4: Oh, yeah. It was a little sloppy. But Simmons and Reed kind of been off TV for a little bit. So a little rusty. But I'm sure they'll clean it up and it's going to look great. Well,
3: we're gonna to going to listen to your buddy. Let's listen to the total package, Lex Luger discovered and in just moments from now
1: the total package himself puts the US Heavyweight Championship on the line you know
6: Gordon Soli this is the real deal Brian Pillman your little exhibition skirmishes are over with this
3: is when you've got the butterflies deep in the pit of your stomach when it's all on the line big money big reputations a big match for all the
6: marbles, for all the gold, and this is when you see, Brian Pillman. why I am the premier wrestler alive today. Why I stand above the wrestling world, the wrestling world is at my feet. I am the champion
1: of the 90s.
3: How many times have you been champion? Gordon Soley, I will be champion for as long as I want to be champion. Brian Pillman, that's what you find out right now.
1: He's been champion more than once, which means he can be beat. Let's go to the ring.
3: Nice mm. cover there by Gordon. Really well done by Gordon there. He asked Les Luger a question. I don't know if Lex wasn't paying attention. If they went over this in, in advance, what the deal was there. But he asked Les, "Lex, how many times you've been champion, and Lex just goes into, I'm going to be champion for as long as I want. Luger walks off, and Gordon makes a point where he was going with his question. Was, you've been champion more than one time, which means you can be beat. Really good job by Gordon Soly.
4: Yeah, with the help of uh Terry Bam, Bam Gordy.
7: Oh yeah, Michael Hayes on,
4: was the
3: uh, former champion. Oh, the cheerleader gimmick. I wasn't a fan of this and Brian Pillman. It really it, it made him take a step back. I it lowered don't think it, him. yeah, it did. It lowered him. You're absolutely right. It's it just came off too hokey, too kitty like. Uh I, I never cared for this whenever Pillman got the cheerleader entrances.
4: Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's ridiculous. He's I mean, not in I'm, high school.
3: I'm glad they're trying to do something special for his entrance, but this is not it. Like, where's a helicopter? Let's bring him out in like a, a <laughs> fucking helicopter, man.
4: <laughs> yeah, and just drop him on the Intrepid. Let's go. They
3: should have put this show in a stadium so Pillman could come There's
4: out. There's some in dude. <laughs> in a know, helicopter. This is my other gimmick. There's some dude in the front row that has like a giant blow-up picture of Lex Luger, and he shoved it right in Pillman's face. I don't Let's know list- if you've
3: seen that. But- Let's listen to this real quick. I want you to hear this. Tell me he doesn't look ready for this match. Luger looks primed and ready to go here. And the pop that you heard was real, but the Luger chant was actually uh, recorded and played. And the question I have there is Lex Luger is supposed to be one of, if not maybe moving forward, your top heel moving into 1990. Why are you playing an audio track of fans chanting
7: Luger?
4: I have no idea. Is it seen back there. Yeah. Yes. He must I have see. got that autograph before before Luger said no more autographs. <laughs> wow. I bet. I wonder if that's Lex, can I have track. your autograph?
3: Cool. No, you can't. No, you can't have my autograph. But that guy—that was when Luger was a baby face. I'm sure.
2: Maybe that the guy. Is... Yeah.
3: It is... Lex, uh, stalling a little bit that's... to get in here and get going.
4: Yeah, that is awkward. Why would you? This is your top heel. Why the hell are you pl- planting Luger chant? Like, what are you doing?
3: And while I don't see it, and I, I haven't watched this match, so I can't say it doesn't show up during the match. But while I didn't see it during the entrance, Demeltz even reports there's a giant Lex Luger banner hanging in the crowd, and it's not you know it's done by the NWA to get Luger over even further. So maybe they're just trying to point out how big of a star Lex Luger is. But still, you don't do that with a heel. This is something you might have done with, with yeah, Brian it Pillman. Make any sense. But yeah, that Luger chant—I tried to pick it up as best I could before the uh, intro. Um, but the pop—that was real. The, the actually, uh, from what I remember, these guys are both equally over. It's like fifty-fifty fan base. It's like Hogan and Warrior basically—they um, support both guys because Luger's just that good and that cool here in 1989. And Brian Pillman's really br- burst on the scene with the uh, just amazing.
4: Yeah, and when you, if you—I'm assuming these people are watching the TV and everything, so they've seen everything that's happened. Uh, with these two. So Which is only how two could you things. Not be ready for this match? It's
3: only it's only, it was like a two week program on T V and it was amazing stuff.
4: Yeah, like how could you not be ready for this match or be pumped for it after that?
2: Yeah,
3: and uh yeah, you had week one, Lex Luger is out there, he's cocky, he's arrogant, he's he's issuing an open challenge because nobody wants to step in the ring with him. And then Brian Pillman accepts, Luger agrees to the match, Pillman asks for it. That day on the show, Luger agrees initially. Then he comes back out later and realizes, oh, I have a match with Richard Sartain. No, Sartain. And he can't wrestle Brian Pillman because he has to wrestle Richard Sartain, who is one of the ding-dongs for anyone he's wondering. Uh, but when, the match, when it comes match time, Brian Pillman talks Sartain into leaving the ring. And while it's an impromptu uh, brawl, it's not a match, Pillman goes at it and runs Luger off. He clears Luger from the ring twice before Luger goes running out of the studio. And that was just night one of the storyline.
7: Lex taking a little trepidatious here with Brian Pillman.
4: He's taking it slow.
7: It's already better than the Tommy Rich match. Oh yeah, how would
4: you feel, than, Brian yeah. Oh, yeah. you feel Brian Pillman, and you walk in and you see a giant banner for Lex Luger and uh? I, I doubt he can't hear the piped-in Luger chants, but um, yeah, I know that. Oh yeah, that's that's playing
3: over the loudspeakers, so he hears it.
4: Yeah. So, like, how do you feel? Like, okay, I'm just being set up here, type deal. Uh, just a pawn in the game.
3: Uh, you know, I can't I speak it. for I know I, know I, I, I can't I speak think. for Brian. I mean, I know he knows Ric Flair's got his support. So I don't know if, you know, I, maybe he just feels like Lexus put his time in. I, I can only speculate as to what, you know, what was going through Pillman's mind with that. I just question from a booking standpoint, like, who came up with that? Why? Why was that a good idea? Like, explain it to me. Yeah, I don't,
4: I don't get it. Like, to me, Luger seems like he's over. Oh, yeah, that was great. Luger yeah. was kind of looking around.
3: Yeah, that was a little payback, too, if you remember. The second week of their angle saw Brian Pillman working. I think it was Joe Kazana. In a squash match, and Luger, still embarrassed from the prior week, hits the ring and spears Brian Pillman. And here Brian Pillman gave it a little back, and he cleared Luger from the ring shades of their first time. And Oh, baseball slide Luger actually takes a bump into the rail instead of just shouting very loudly, as he'd probably do another five, six years in the future.
4: <laughs> Too bad like Lex Luger just didn't stay this way forever, because he would be one of the greatest, I think. He be right there.
2: It looks like Air
7: Air
3: Pillman early on. Are we gonna see it this early in the match? Oh, oh! Lex wisely gets out of dodge as he's already felt Air Pillman before, and he doesn't want to. He knows it might be the end of the <laughs> the title run if Brian connects. his <laughs> Pillman chasing? Look, I've wow. never seen Luger move that fast. To be honest with you, I haven't either. <laughs> Running around ringside.
4: Well, I know. I know he ran that, like, 4-5-40 when he was going out for football or whatever it was in high school. They couldn't believe it.
2: And
3: Lex takes over so there. So he's the, always
4: some... been bigger, faster, stronger.
3: Sure. He's I wonder like why that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the enhancement. That's where, that's where he gets it from. and Lugar, well, not, not in high school. No, no. But here in the NWA... Certainly. You can't can't look at it. I mean, we've seen he's actually trimmed down in the last month or so from where he was for most of uh, the middle of the year. Brian Pillman up and over.
4: Well, that's true. Six weeks on, six weeks off.
3: I think Luger's like six months on, three weeks off. I think that's Luger's cycle.
4: Oh no! He he said he was rigorous. He actually consulted (laughs) bodybuilders, and he wanted to make sure he was going to do it right. If he was going to do it, he was going to do it right. And supposedly, he was torn on if he even wanted to start it. Somebody offered it to him, or something, or he's trying to get ready for football one season, and they said, "Hey, you do steroids because he's had like an injury and he couldn't work out or get in shape the way he wanted to." So he went back and forth with himself and consulted all the people and made the decision to do it. And he loved the way he felt. So. He's continued with it
3: um, well that's that goes without yeah. say- saying <laughs>
4: <laughs> so he does look down cycled here six weeks this is his break. I't don't, I, don't, I can't remember if it it's six or four or something like that. I know it was just cycled. He didn't he didn't do it consistently until he got on HGH.
3: Pillman working a wrist lock here, taking things a little slow, separating some of the spots. nothing wrong with that. But Luger cuts him right back off. This won't be the last time we see these two get in the ring. They'll wrestle again at the Clash. So this is only match one of at least two on TV, a pay-per-view and then the Clash. So they're certainly saving these guys for the big shows. Anyway, ooh, nice spin out. Little Marty Jannetty spot there, spin out of that hip toss and gives Luger one of his own. And that's how you do an armbar, Tommy
2: Rich. Just for a second.
4: Take a quick breather and get back get back to it. I don't like the little wings there on Pillman's boots; those look weird. <laughs> yeah, well, he's flying, graduated. man. He's flying, little kid Icarus there. Yeah, yeah. It just seems like you can tell it's a pay per view. These guys are getting new gear. Like Woman's dressing up. The dudes had new gear, like that. So it's really cool to see that they took these shows. Really, really Are these
3: are these cheerleaders in the fucking crowd? Are you kidding me? I'd be yelling That's at them to get, like and get the hell out of my way. And let's be honest, <laughs> right. these aren't really cheerleaders. These are hired help, I would imagine. I can't imagine these girls actually being cheerleaders.
4: They probably went to a model agency and said we need six of your best.
3: How do you have an entire
7: cheerleading squad without one blonde? I'm just not buying it. Yeah, I'm not either. Luger pl- plows over Pillman. I don't Ooh. know
3: who was supposed nice. to do what there, but he, he took him down. Brian Pillman's really just a Lex Luger light as far as uh, the body goes. They, they both have probably the two best <laughs> bodies in the company right now.
4: If Luger, if Pillman was like three or four inches taller, they're identical. Just right. one of them has a perm.
7: Yeah, yeah. Brian Pillman has some interesting <laughs> hair.
4: It's, it's 80s that's what that is
3: <laughs> it's it's something it's it's definitely Ooh. something Lex we're just looking right into the camera there sell lex sell
4: he starts selling and then they move away from him <laughs>
3: <laughs> that figures we still got two matches to go two more tag matches anyway it's the roadies and the skyscrapers and then thunderdome I'm kind of sad they didn't play the Thunderdome video, the vignette, during the pay-per-view. That was just It was just a fun video with Big Bully Busick and (laughs) selling the cages 30 feet high. Maybe they want you to forget that the cage is supposedly 30 feet high, because once we get there, there's no way it's 30 feet high. But that's what you do in wrestling. You just oversell everything. The only thing that I'm a little upset about, too, is there's no Elvira here. I would have liked to have seen them pay her to actually show up at the pay-per-view.
4: Oh, my God. There's your cheerleaders. Yes, they're
3: uh, rocking and rolling in the crowd there as Brian Pillman works, <laughs> works an arm bar or wrist lock now. This would have been a perfect time to show Elvira. Just uh, have her sitting at ringside. I mean, she worked WrestleMania too, so she's familiar with what wrestling is.
4: It's right up her alley. The
3: it was perfect timing. Is- I, I don't know if they ever really played up a gimmick to a pay-per-view prior to this they they really utilize this being Halloween havoc by finding Elvira. Whoever came up with the idea and made the offer and made it happen, great job, thank you. And it'll continue for another <laughs> at least couple years. I think I know she's uh, does uh, more commercials in '90 and I believe even '91.
4: Did Turner buy some of her movies or give her something uh, on TV around this time?
3: I'm more wondering if she gave Turner something.
4: <laughs> sure, Turner asked.
3: <laughs> back to the arm drag. Just to ask Missy. <laughs> yeah,
4: just ask Missy. Oh Lord.
3: A little slower than I remember the middle of this match being, but I'm sure it'll pick up there going into the finish. So I'm not really too worried, especially this deep into the pay per view. We've already seen quite a bit. So it's not a whole lot these guys can do that we haven't already seen, other than their actual uh, their their move sets, if that's what you want to call it here. Back back in '89.
4: I love how Luger's. Cussing out fans in the crowd while Pillman's working him over. Like he doesn't. There's even hat care. guy.
3: That's fucking hat guy. He's wearing a U- U- P- wow. USPS shirt. Le- Lex loser. He's wearing a fucking U S P S shirt or uh, a hat instead of the straw hat. I never saw that and before. He has the
4: Hawaiian shirt.
3: Yeah, Jim Bailey. I believe his name is. Wow, hat guy. We're in Philly, so it makes sense. I just never realized that he was on camera here at Halloween Havoc '89 before. A mark-out moment for me. I'm marking out for the fans.
4: That's my gimmick, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. So he was, yeah, he's obviously a wrestling fan. And Luger, could you imagine Lex Luger in ECW?
3: <laughs> Woo! Man, that I, think, that, I think the heat would have been would've amazing.
4: Had, oh, my God. The crowd would have had a blast with him. Holy oh, shit. Oh, God, they they Especially ate up that. To the, Sid, they love Sid though.
2: That's
3: what, yeah, they ate him up. That's what I mean. They, they loved it. And Pillman He's up, killing and, people. Yeah, Pillman went flying Luger. right there. It was Pillman who got the uh, lesson in gravity. He told Luger he was going to give him a lesson in gravity. Pillman went up and then came down.
4: Let's be honest, Pillman Luger is not leaving his feet.
3: Tommy Rich once referred to Lex Luger as Flex Luger. It looks like the fans are even more clever than Tommy Rich. Lex loser makes a little more sense here if you're trying to uh, berate the total package. We got Tommy Young refereeing here? Oh, it's good to see Tommy right now because we, we only got another month of Tommy Young and then that's, that's it for his career, at least until he makes a, a, that, that short comeback there in the late 90s and in, in, in WWF with the old NWA angle.
4: Didn't he get injured?
7: Yes, he gets injured. It
3: actually airs. It makes air. They actually air the match.
4: Oh, wow. Is it bad?
3: Uh, man, I haven't seen it in years. I just know that... Um, I won't even tell you... Wait, wait till you see who, what a match to be... to end your career on. That's a... Uh, oh, Luger oh. just clotheslines him. It'll air, I believe, on World Championship Wrestling, if I remember correctly. And you won't believe the guys involved in the match. And who's involved oh, so this in shit. it's? Uh, I believe it's near the 89? end of yeah, I believe it's near the end of November. I think that's the uh the that's the end of Tommy Young, unfortunately.
4: So he gets he gets the Clash right. And We'll see him at the Clash right. Right,
3: yeah, that's uh, Tommy's last big show. It will be the Clash Nine. Wow, Luger really I
4: thought he was
3: a lot. Really giving it to Brian Pillman. They're really aggressive, stomps and choking. <laughs> Typically, that stuff can be pretty boring, but Lex really. Making it look good there. Very realistic. Luger's like, this is what happens when you give me somebody worth working.
4: I'll actually try. He's uh, still giving it to the heck guy.
3: Although, I got to say, Luger and Tommy Rich from the the last clash wasn't that bad at all.
4: No, it wasn't. That's Tommy Rich's best match.
3: Oh, by far. There's no, not even a, it's not even debatable. I don't even know if, you know, it's like that match and then nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> pretty much
3: Luger question young about the count Brian Pillman man he's been here for quite a few months I think he came back in June maybe or the beginning of July so he's been here a few months now but this is easily by far uh, his biggest match in the company
4: oh yeah he looked really good against Norman, so... Um, yeah, him and Norman was, like, a had, had a
3: couple of uh, fairly decent matches. Of course, they only went three or four minutes long, each one of them, but you'd be surprised how much they got into those three or four minutes. Really fast-paced stuff from uh, in those matches. And that really just got Pillman ready for this, this match with Luger here, because he uh, got the win, definitive win over, over Norman in that feud at the last clash. And he moves on to a lot bigger and better things here in the U.S. Uh, title match on Halloween Havoc. So uh, they, they really have a lot of faith in Brian Pillman just months into his career here in the company. You can tell Ric Flair really likes him Ever from Brian be- Pillman.
4: Yeah, they have every reason to have faith in him. He has, he's not the loose cannon yet.
3: <laughs> no, that's uh, years off. Oh, <laughs> Luger misses the Thank clothesline you. and goes Whoa. diving out of the ring. That was his own momentum, Steve. That's not a disqualification.
4: Even if it was, they wouldn't have called it, especially Tommy
3: Young. (laughs) That's
4: 1989
3: NWA. Pillman got a light luger up. I only gave him one chop. I thought he was going to really light him up there. Lex probably said, just go up and punch me.
4: Yeah, don't kill my chest.
3: Ooh, that was kind of rough. That was a rough landing. That was a rough landing for Fly and Brian. They're going to do the spot again. This is what he wanted to do. Here we go. Okay. That would have been cool if he had not been able to execute that. Setting up for the old Wyndham superplex. Luger's been using that a lot lately.
2: Shout out to his boy.
3: Lex going he's up. He's a lot he... of
4: spots here.
3: Yeah, yeah. He's he's definitely called quite a few spots out of the corners. and Pillman shoves him off, though, and it, it looks like Brian's going to be flying. Lex Luger might be crying. And his... Title run might be dying. Flair's going to be buying. <laughs> yeah. And at the Flair's end of the night, Ric Flair buying. will be buying. That's right. Great sunset flip off the top rope by Pillman, and he's going to light Luger up with those nasty chops. Spinning elbow. Looks like he uh, gave up the sling blade in favor of the spinning elbow. That's unfortunate.
4: Luger's gassed.
3: <laughs> he's hanging in there, though. Luger calling another spot right there, very visibly on camera. Give me a backdrop. Let's take it home. <laughs> we might be taking it home. Looks like it's time for Air Pillman. See if it connects this time. If Luger can avoid it twice. Oh, there it is.
4: I got a big air with a closed liner.
7: Steve, you broke up on me there. Your audio cut out.
3: Well, hopefully Steve's back. <laughs> you speak up, buddy, whenever you're back. Brian Pillman on the top rope. Misses a missile dropkick. Luger bumps. Bumps out of the way. It seems like Lex did that earlier in the year. <laughs> oh, welcome back, Steve. We lost you there for a second.
4: Yeah, thanks for having me back. <laughs> Something just went out. I don't know what happened. But um, that was a great sales job on Air Pillman. I, I did say that, but... Right. I don't know if you Boom. picked up my ah, question, up. but has Pillman ever been caught? Ooh, that was nasty.
3: Three? Doing uh, air line.
4: Pillman. Has he ever
3: been has caught? he ever been I, caught doing I, an air hmm. Pillman
4: and hit, getting, getting hit with like a clothesline as he's coming down?
3: Not that I recall. You know, it, uh, oh, it would have been cool. would have been sweet. Yeah, I'm not saying it never happened. I just don't recall it happening in any of the big-time matches that I'm, you know, I can think of off the top of my head, would have been really nice. A lot of different spots you could come up with there. Lex Luger takes off. He knows he escaped this by the skin of his teeth. Brian Pillman misses that missile dropkick, and Luger takes that back bump to get away from the dropkick. It seems like Lex did that. I was saying earlier when, when you cut out um, that Lex did that at some point earlier in the, the year. He took a back bump to escape getting hit with a move and he follows that up with the hot shot there since Eddie Gilbert's not doing it much anymore, and that gets the win (laughs) as we go to Chris Cruz, who's going to be with the Road Warriors. ...would finally wear the gold tonight, but
0: apparently that is not to be. We are standing by live here in Philadelphia, just minutes away from the Road Warriors Skyscrapers match. Hawk, you are considered the best tag team in the history of professional wrestling, but can even the Road Warriors defeat the Skyscrapers? Well, you know
6: we've been underdogs all our life and there's some critics out there that think we're underdogs tonight well the people out there aren't stupid they know better the skyscrapers hey who builds Billy's paul people do and who tears them down people do. well we're a couple of people that are going to reduce them to rubble snack on danger dine on death dead men don't make money tell them at them you know a lot of people in our sport today, judge themselves on how much they can take by the hands of the Road Warriors. Not by anybody else, but by the Legion of do. That's why we're the number one team in professional
0: wrestling As skyscrapers. You ain't gonna change that. All right, fans, let's go back to the ring now. Road Warriors and skyscrapers live from Philadelphia.
8: Well, ladies and gentlemen, the following contest, it is the- For one ball with a 30-minute time limit. Introducing Team Number One, Theodore R. Long presents from Metropolis. Total combined weight: 634 pounds. Dangerous diving, sea fishes,
5: the sky are scrapers. Are they are are undefeated this was going to be one you can hear you have to see this one bob you can hear the company the, the impact on this one before
6: it's all said oh done. Uh, jim uh, so aptly named not only are they big and heavy, six eight six nine we're talking about giants
5: speak here in the Philadelphia Civic Center. Their reputation has been hard-fought and well-deserved. And Jim, I've been thinking and wondering about it. Is this where the present meets
6: the future? We've been so, and I don't mean back to the future, but we've been talking so much about the skyscrapers very definitely are the team of the 90s. I think here are two men that have very
3: Road warriors rushing to the ring. They brought back their shin guards, those spiked shin pads again. Very cool. Good to see those busted out for the pay per view.
4: Yeah, those are awesome. I man, I got goosebumps here in Iron Man, and then the Road Warrior pop that everybody talks about. Uh, yeah, man, that's why I chills. had to go with the How the original audio out?
3: here. That's uh, that's just another reason I want to do the original audio. I did it with the Midnight's and the SST. I thought we really needed that Halloween music. This being Halloween Havoc anyway, and then the fire dance with the Halloween music. Just uh, it really. It did something to me as a kid when I watched that. I like marked out like crazy for that. And then here we had to get that skyscrapers theme, followed by the road warriors theme. It just sets the tone. These are perfect theme songs for both guys.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. How do you not get chills and goosebumps seeing these two, these four guys just stare each other down like that? Man, what a visual!
3: Yeah, he, he, this writes itself. Wars there's change. been no, yeah. There's been no storyline going into this, Steve. You know, you remember it's just basically who's gonna, who's the better team? The Road Warriors who dominated the 80s. They the, see the, the sky? yeah. They say the skyscrapers are gonna dominate the 90s, but they're selling it as whoever wins this will be the team. Look at that hawk mask for Halloween. There you go. Now nah, I've never seen That's that great. marketed.
4: I haven't either. Way to go! Way, way to
7: go! NWA Drop the ball. It right. Man,
4: could you imagine if the NWA had the
3: <laughs> the
4: marketing? The backing, like Vince, the, the marketing ability that yeah. Vince had with these characters? Holy shit. Ric Flair oh, and yeah. Sting and the roadies and Muda. They should be like millionaires based yeah. off merch sales.
3: Yeah, Tony, uh, Tony Schiavone has said that for years, ever since this podcast has been going anyway, how terrible <laughs> the marketing was. And, and, and going to the WWF, it was like a different world. <laughs> when he got there and saw everything Vince was doing with marketing, it's uh, it's insane. Like Yo-yo. all of that money left on the floor,
4: yo-yos and squirt heads and and ten different versions of LJNs and <laughs> just every like everything you can think of. There's something out. There's a freaking hockey game with WWF stars that's highly sought after and everybody wants it. But I mean, just anything you can think of to slap a a face on and call it WWF is that's what Vince was doing. And these guys have absolutely nothing. There's like no action figures until what gloob.
3: Yeah. Not that I recall. Holy shit. Even even the AWA had action figures first. And actually they have road warrior action figures. The, the Remco AWA figures, which you'll see in the crowd from time to time, actually Hawk just nails Dan Spivey. Spivey almost catches the back of his head on the bottom rope there. That could have been pretty bad off.
4: That would have been bad. I should hey, man, point out. the Nord the Barbarian Rimco that sells for $500.
3: Wow, I've never seen that one, so I would imagine why. The Lords of Discipline, the Road Warriors sign out there. You guys might be wondering what Teddy Long's doing out there with that novelty size, that oversized key. Well, that's the key for Norman the Lunatic. He uses it to threaten his uh, charged Norman. He's going to send him back to the loony bin. If that's still uh, a, a word I can use here in 2021, I have no idea. But, uh, oh, we get Sid and Hawk in the ring. We saw Spivey and Animal go, whoa, all right.
4: Oh, my! what Sid the does, hell was that?
3: I'm telling you what, Sid did not want to bump <laughs> either. We saw Spivey versus Animal on TV the week before going into this. We haven't seen Sid in there with either of the roadies until right now. And Sid making it clear, he's not going to sell. <laughs> we'll mm-hmm. see what happens here. We'll see if there's any cooperation moving forward.
4: Uh, There's that shoulder block that he loves to do. When does he get injured?
7: Uh, It's coming up uh, at the clash.
2: Uh, That sucks.
4: This guy. (laughs)
3: Look at this. Look at this showdown here. Sid just towers over even the road warriors. Looks like a million bucks. Looks like the sky was the limit for him here. At this point, like he could have done everything. He should have been as big as anyone any, ever in the history of professional wrestling. But between his love of softball and uh, his refusal to play politics other than his own way, I think that hindered him quite a bit throughout parts of his career.
4: What do you mean by that? The politics? Like he didn't want to, he didn't care. <laughs> he doesn't want
3: to sell. He doesn't, he doesn't want to agree to do things. He doesn't want to do business right. Maybe oh, sometimes okay, gotcha. animal, he makes him leave his feet. <laughs> Sid <laughs> bumps to the floor. Sid'll bump for himself um, anyway.
4: It, what's amazing is—is is he, no matter what, felt like it seemed like he was always over. Yeah, you can go back to '95, '96. Whenever he came out, that music hit—the psycho music or whatever—and he comes out, that crowd pops almost immediately. And I, I know the bell rings and it gets dicey after that, but. For whatever reason, he was always over and he stayed over. And uh injuries slowed him down, obviously. Hard telling what skyscrapers would have been if he didn't get injured. Uh going into WWF, he was big time there and he gets injured, uh, coming right in. So early on in his career, and then obviously ninety three, we all know what happened there, uh with, with what Arn Anderson. Right. Um so he just couldn't get out of his own way, but you know, that's just the way it is with some of these people. They look like a million bucks, but they don't have it all going on upstairs. And he's his own person. If he wants to go play softball in the spring, then he's going to go play softball in the spring. Who's the, who the hell are we to tell him not? Can to? you
3: can you just imagine that? I mean, I can't fathom that. Obviously, like you said, it's he's not all there. I mean, it's not just a gimmick, Psycho Sid. Some of the things this guy's done in his off time, uh, going in and getting a squeegee uh, to threaten Brian Pillman with it, or uh, you know, stabbing Arn Anderson. In the middle of a hotel, these are not things that, you know, the normal human being does. So, yes, yeah, the psycho name is I'm sure there's a uh, there's a lot of uh, realism put into that life imitating art or art imitating life or what have you. And then, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. You're making six and uh, probably sometimes seven figures uh, getting booked in the main events. But you'd rather go play softball. I'm going to take a few few days off your fake an injury or uh, no, make a no show. Cause I'm going to go play a game of softball, which he's making absolutely no money doing by the way, mind you, I can't believe somebody loves the game just that much.
4: I'd love to play some softball, (laughs) (laughs) which at the time and availability to just go play some baseball every once in a while. I could see it. I could see it, man. I don't know if you can see it when you're making
3: a million dollars and getting put in the main event of a paper. Well, that's,
4: (laughs) I mean, at some point, like how much priorities, man. Well, like Dean Ambrose, look at him. It's not all about the money to him. I mean, it may not all be about the money to Sid. He doesn't care. I mean, obviously he doesn't care because he (laughs) no-shows conventions, signings, everything you can think of to play softball. So, I mean, he obviously doesn't care about money. It's not a thing to him. Nice kip-up by Sid. And Sid clotheslines Hawk, though. Sid going to show off his
3: stuff here against the roadie. That's something Hawk and Animal can't do, that kip-up.
4: No, definitely not.
7: You know, he's looking for a power
3: bomb here. We're going to see a power bomb. Oh, the Whirly Bird on Hawk! Are you kidding me?
4: Wow! Holy shit! I, I can't b- believe Hawk agreed. What he to... thought of these guys? <laughs> take this when they saw him. Wow! Well,
3: I don't know what Hawk thought, but he he agreed to let Sid do that. I can't. I can't believe I saw I Hawk know, like take you... that move.
4: <laughs> I can't either. I at some point, you know, somebody's going to come along and they're going to be bigger, better, and faster. You know, just that's just the way life is. So it makes you wonder if. The roadies were apprehensive, you know, standoffish, dicks. I don't know. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but this makes you wonder, like, are, are they comfortable in their spot? Are they okay with this or, or what the case may be?
3: Yeah, I don't know how the, but, their uh, feelings were here, were here by 89. I don't know if they were just collecting the paycheck. Obviously, they're, they're working hard. They're, they're doing a good job. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just wondering more if yeah. it's about politics now. Hey, we're going to uh, go over here to Vince if you guys don't pay us more. I don't know if it's more about making some money right now. Versus uh, just refusal to do jobs and things. Of course, the roadies have been in the business for six or seven years at this point, and they're not doing a whole lot of jobs during that area, or era, uh, no, no. all of the
4: 80s. No, absolutely not. I don't know. It's just weird. Like you, You've been the the top guys for, like you said, six, seven years at this point, and then now you're staring at the future in your face. These guys are doing things that you're not even doing or even able to do, like Sid especially. Um. I don't know. I don't know if I'm really, I don't know how I'd feel about that. Yeah, Somebody's exactly. always coming along to take take your spot. That's
3: well the roads have done works. a good job holding their own I mean this is a very well Sid went to do his charge, but Hawk takes the bump in the <laughs> corner, so Sid has to change it up just a little bit He's of like an F you. You didn't,
4: uh, <laughs> Hawk's like F you, you didn't sell my clothesline, so I'm not taking your shoulder bump.
3: I think Hawk was more like, Well, I took that fucking whirly bird, so I'm done taking shit from you, Sid. I think, I think that's more when <laughs> I was going through yeah, Hawk's mind there. As he's trying to fight oh back, man. he's looking for that hot tag. He's trying to get Animal in there. Sid and Dan Spivey playing a little Howdy duty on Hawk's Coconut. It plays a
6: little Howdy duty on your coconut. Oh! Oh
3: one, thing they've, <laughs> one thing they've stopped in recent weeks, and thank God they've done it, is if you remember earlier in the Skyscrapers matches, Norman would come to ringside for absolutely no reason. And we haven't seen any Norman here, thank God. Nah, nah, yeah!
2: Yeah,
4: Yeah, thank God for that, for sure.
3: Nice spot there is Spivey telegraphs the backdrop. Hawk kicks him, but Spivey no-sells it. And clothesline's
7: Hawk down anyway.
3: This hasn't been bad. There's been a lot of wrestling in this match.
4: Yeah, and they're doing a really good job with this. Yeah, I'm shocked, because... Usually the LOD, they got like maybe three or four minutes of decent offense before it kind of falls apart on them. But the skyscrapers are doing just enough to make them mix it up and work a little longer than they probably are used to. So um, I'm, not, I'm not trying to trash the roadies. It's just they, – they're, they're, I, I don't want to say they're limited. They, just wrestling-wise, they just don't have a lot to go very, very long. And I, you're scared when you got guys like Sid in there because he's, he doesn't have anything really either. No, Sid's green as grass, too,
3: Spivey's half-crippled uh, at times anyway. Yeah,
4: so Spivey's the only – I mean, I'm Spivey and Animal are the ones that can Look carry a pretty decent match.
3: I guess wow. you can call that a hot tag. Oh, the ref – all right. That, I, mean, I was like, that's an odd hot tag, but it was impressive. Hawk picking Sid up over 300 pounds and just carrying him over to tag an animal, but clearly Nick Patrick didn't see it, so it makes
7: a little more sense now.
2: How long does
4: this
3: match go? Oh, we got to be near in the end. I would have to match. I think these guys are running out of moves. <laughs> there we go. Hawk yeah, with the boot in the corner. Like, ooh, Boom ooh. and clothesline Spivey down. I think it's a hot tag time right now, now that you ask, Steve. It's what it feels like to me. I feel the
7: vibe anyway.
3: This is fun here. Animal going to come in. I think he lays it into Spivey here, but watch what happens when Sid gets in the ring. Nice dropkick there by Animal. And maybe another move here to Spivey? Oh, yeah, the shoulder block. Boom! Watch this. Watch this. Boom! Look at that. I love that. I remember that spot, that stare down between the two guys. As Sid comes in and Animal's like, oh, what do I got now? Really cool stuff there. They told a, a little story there without even having to do
7: a move. And even Sid has to eat a p-
3: Oh, Teddy Long clocks Paul Ellering with the key and tosses it to Spivey, who uses it Oh, the, right in front of the referee. You can't do that, Dan. Damn it. And Hawk had to take that shoulder spot in the
4: post. <laughs> oh, and he, took the, he took the neck spot, <laughs> yeah. too. Woo. He hated hitting the floor.
3: So even post-match, Hawk had to take his uh, last good bump, and they're using the key. Sorry. What's that?
4: I was going to say sorry if I seem distracted there for a second. Something's going on outside my window uh, with the neighbors across the street. Yikes. It like I heard the F-bomb uh, <laughs> getting dropped by some woman, and she's gone. So I don't know what's going on. Sorry about that.
3: That's <laughs> right. Hawk coming back in, and the key goes flying out of Spivey's hand. That's quite all right. This shit happens. It's the weekend. We're recording on the weekend, so <laughs> people people get inebriated and things. I'm not saying that necessarily is what happened, but who knows? And uh, the no. roadies get the win here by disqualification. I don't mind the DQ if they plan on continuing this. My big issue here is it looks silly using this key. As Unless you're going to drive it into somebody's throat, it looks silly as the weapon here. Maybe a
7: chair would have been better.
4: Yeah, not the uh, strongest of weapons to use here. It's so obvious and easy to hide it.
3: And the road warriors yeah, are holding onto the key, so technically they could they could own Norman now. I don't know how Teddy Long gets the key I back. I don't know why anybody would want to own Norman, but I'm just saying. And there's post match Hawk coming back in the ring after taking that post, and Spivey visibly throws the the key. He forgot to drop it. <laughs> little little tug of war there. Boom. Sid clears. Spivey eats it. That, I would have bought that shot. If Spivey had hit the Road Warriors with that last shot Hawk gave him, then I would have bought the key. Let's, uh, let's go to Chris Cruz with Ole Anderson and Company. Oh, shit.
0: And Sid vicious. Well, what can you say? We are ready for that big Thunderdome match. Ole Anderson, my question for you, at what point will you throw in the towel? You see this towel wrapped around my arm about
5: ten times. There's no way.
0: You better get ready, Gary
5: Hart. This towel is going to be like glue on my right arm. When I get out there, the only thing I'm going to be doing is watching Sting and Flair knock the crap out of Mr. Muda and Terry Funk. Get ready because your towel is going to be dropped in that ring.
0: I guarantee. Ric Flair, are you willing to risk your future in professional wrestling? I'm
5: amazed.
6: Throw the towel in. Here's how it goes. This is the Thunderdome. This is the big time. This is the National Wrestling Alliance. And Sting and Ric Flair stand for a cause tonight. And the cause is the end. Of Terry Funk yes! and the great Muda. Electrified, yes, 10,000 people, yes, nationwide, yes, tonight, Funk and Muda. Woo!
5: Pay their dues, right, Steers? It's Halloween, and guess what? It's gonna be full of hammock. It's gonna be different because we're talking something different than a regular
8: wrestling match, and I love to be different. You know that, Halloween hammock and electricity. It's just seconds away now, Nature Boy. Woo! All right, fans, here we are. Thunderdome now live in Philadelphia. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for the Thunderdome cage match. Introducing first, the special guest referee, the one man considered capable by the NWA in officiating this special event. Ladies and gentlemen, I present the living legend of professional wrestling, Bruno Sammartino. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the participants. Gary Hart, one of the designated Terminators, accompanies to the ring.
3: So Bruno gets a, a fun pop there from the Philly crowd. They remember Bruno very well. And the team of the Great Muda and Terry Funk have made it. Terry Funk is back and he's ready here after having that staff infection, the funker is back to the paper. His elbow. You know. Yeah, it's uh and if you're wondering who that gentleman <laughs> is there in that Yakuza uh, style uh, suit, that mafia, that Japanese mafia style suit walking backwards, leading Gary Hart and the great Muda to the ring or following them to the ring. That's Kendo Nagasaki, Kazuo Sakuraba, Mm. who is going to be the Dragon Master. This is actually his debut, though they don't even mention him by name here, or even acknowledge his existence. (laughs) And during this introduction, he doesn't play a part here, so I guess it doesn't matter. He's basically the replacement of Dick Slater, who has left the company in mid-October to go do a tour of Japan. I think Slater expected to return following the tour of Japan, but perhaps... Flair wasn't happy that he took off in the middle of this whole j storyline. So Dick Slater won't return until, probably until the Hardliners.
4: <laughs> Your favorite tag team.
3: I, so, two dirty dicks. That's Missy Hyde's favorite tag team. Are you kidding me?
4: <laughs> you said it. How long did Sting take to do all this color on his face? Holy I was shit, wondering, man. you know.
3: I was wondering when I just saw him coming out. Why, Sting? This is Halloween. This is, seems like the perfect night that you only have to go orange and black. And instead, he decides to go rainbow here. Goes all Finn Balor at WrestleMania on us <laughs> with the uh, entire... Well, it matches
4: is tight. Oh, yeah, I know. Tight, well,
3: I agree. So... I think he should have just saved it, though. He should have saved this for Starkade Sting. Just uh, sa- save the whole look. It just felt right Luger here. did
4: say that, uh... Luger did mention, like in one of the autograph signings that I watched, how Sting is very, very sequent. He has to have it a, a certain way. Um, they had to match when they were tag team. They had to match. Sting would make sure he matched. Luger matched him, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I guess Sting has like a big storage unit with all his gear that he's ever worn. Good for him. Like he said, uh, uh it's not out in, in view in public and everything like that." Like Bret right. Hart, maybe. But uh, he said they look brand new still. Uh, he he's taking great care of them. So um, Sting was one of those guys that took care of his stuff. I mean, he it's crazy. I, obviously, we talk about Mike Rotunda. His gear is probably I don't know twenty bucks, thirty bucks. <laughs> <laughs> but if I'm like a Ric Flair, where I'm spending thousands and thousands on robes, I'm not just gonna trash them or lose them or just leave them in my house. Come on, we're, talk, we're no talking we're talking about.
3: Rick Flair here. He doesn't give a flying shit, especially back then. I bet the way you he <laughs> has his robes,
4: <road>. I <laughs> he, bet he still has most. Of he them. has
3: he has almost none of them. You serious? He, yeah, he has almost none of them.
4: So uh, the, uh, well, I think, Rick I, Flair is a terrible example because he's probably had to pawn <laughs> him or mortgage him or something. <laughs>
3: no, <he> just <laughs> I don't think he really. Are, I mean, there. it's Rick Flair. Money was no object. He probably didn't give a shit. I, I think uh, I believe, man. Don't quote me here. I think the red one from WrestleMania eights. I think that one was stolen, but all the other ones, he just lost. He has no idea where the hell they went. It was, he was probably partying one night and they just, you know, that's one at a time. There they go. Wow. Probably gave, probably gave him, probably gave the stewardesses or whomever he met at the bar that night and took, took back up to the, who knows with, with the nature boy. It's like the old yeah, story of the, uh, took off with them. <laughs> it's like the old story of uh, the nasty boys giving Willie Nelson, one of the, the tag titles. I think it was knobs. Here you go. Thanks for smoking weed with us, Willie. You can have the the WrestleMania 7. We won the belts, but you can have it.
2: (laughs)
7: Wow.
3: (laughs) And here we go. And I told you, I told you on the last episode, they were going to get Bruno in the ring before they dropped his fucking cage (laughs) so that he had no idea what it looked like. And that's exactly what's happening here. So I'm assuming based on the can panning out, that the the cage is being lowered at this point or or will be shortly. Bruno doesn't know what he's gotten himself into just yet. I I don't think I don't think he's seen the cage yet. What is this shit? Oh, Bruno probably doesn't cuss.
7: I apologize. There is a lot of context for Bruno.
4: (laughs) Yeah.
3: Muda. The dude
4: won't even drink wine or alcohol in public. He's definitely not cussing.
3: Muda looks good there. I like the uh, the old red and black. It looks really cool, like especially when he dyes his tongue red. Whatever he puts in his mouth to to get the. I guess it would probably just be the mist, the food coloring. It looks like he's almost bleeding from the mouth. And here comes the cage, the monstrosity. Jim Cornette talks about this cage because you figure Jim Cornette's really old school, so he probably wouldn't be be all for this. And he wasn't, but he was for the idea when it was pitched to him. What if we had this cage that just looked like this? A higher, you know, this giant cage, and the way it was explained that it was going to look versus what it winds up looking like, they did a good sell job on it. And then poor execution, I guess, is the story with this cage, which is supposed to be electrified. And story goes here, as you'll, you'll see it happen in, in moments. Uh, I'm sure you already know, Steve. Uh, they try to use some of their little uh, fake electrical electrocution g- gimmicks here, uh, rigged around the top of the cage, lighting and things like that, and some of the props hanging from the cage, catch on fire. I don't know if it's cobwebs or something along those lines. They catch on fire. And Tommy Young and another WCW staffer have to put it out, and we'll we'll watch Muda have some fun with it too. Uh, Immediately upon that happening, they were told by the fire marshal in the building to shut down whatever props they had planned because there were props planned to get over the electrocution, which is why you're going to see these guys. A lot of people probably wondered all these years, why do they climb to the top of the cage so damn much? And you can't really escape it. The idea was to get up there where the electrocution props were so they could put over guys getting fried or at least burning themselves. Unfortunately, they don't realize that they've been shut off because the fire marshal threatens to shut the show down during the middle of the pay-per-view main event if they don't shut off the, the gimmicks because <laughs> they, they can't have another fire take place during this match.
4: Wow. <laughs> and the,
3: the fire's coming right now. I know Funker does this splits here. And we're gonna pan behind the cameraman, and all of a sudden, something's on fire, and it ain't wildfire either. Right, here we go, and yeah, we There's can't. You can't have. You can't have that. That <laughs> that can't be a thing.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Bruno, Bruno's not even looking. Uh, what is this? What is this? is this? Oh, I guess he is looking, because it's right in front of him. No way he's not looking. (laughs) He's like, what the hell is this? I'm sure he's like,
3: what the hell is this? Here comes Muda. Now, that Muda's going to do the fun spot of the night here. Uh, Afterwards, just ad-libbing Muda. Going to go spray it out with some mist, even though they already put it out. Great visual there. I always pop every time I see that. The great Muda climbs up there and puts it out with the mist. So, good ad-lib by Muda having a little fun before the match gets going. Good use of mist. (laughs) And the rules, the rules here are simple, really no rules other than the cornermen, the Terminators, Ole Anderson for Flair and Sting and Gary Hart for Muda and Terry Funk, they have to throw in the towel in order to surrender for their team. And, boy, when you got Ole Anderson and Gary Hart out there and you're watching this for the first time, you really do wonder how this is going to play out. Who's going to throw in the towel and how? Because those are two guys you just don't see throwing a towel in.
4: Yeah, I think that really the only dynamic that would hinder one to think that way is Gary Hart has a corporation going with these two, whereas Ole Anderson was just brought in to be the Terminator. So there's really no significance to Ole Anderson or any reason for him to spare Ric Flair or well, Sting.
3: I'd argue that Ole was once a member of the Horsemen, though I also, I also agree with you. Well, I'm just <laughs> saying there's a backstory there.
4: There's something there. I get it. I get where I, and I understand why Oli was picked. It makes sense to me, but uh, I mean, I think Oli's been selling it. Like these are your, this is your bread and butter. This is how you make your money. Gary Hart. There's no way you're going to let this go. As far as you say, you're going to let it go. And,
3: uh, right, right. Yeah. I I see what you're saying. Like that's his company. He needs, he needs to make money off of J He needs these guys to still be able to continue to wrestle Whereas Oli has really no reason not to, to, or no reason to throw in the towel, I guess, uh, because he's not best friends with—he doesn't even know Sting necessarily. Walking into this, and if Ric Flair hired him and he said, "Hey, don't throw in the towel," I could see Oli just going, "Okay, I don't have a problem with that."
4: <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's really the only plot hole. I wish there was somebody more affiliated. Oh, nice spot there.
3: Flair just, just dumps, dumps him. Funker over the top. Bruno looks like he wants to count, but he realizes when well, he really can't. This is not a Bruno San Martino's style cage match. That's for certain.
4: Definitely not. It just makes you wish. I wish Oli was brought in a little bit earlier and they gave him a reason to possibly have to throw in the towel. Like develop that side of it to where it's not. Now it's just Oli out there. I get it. They're probably just assuming all he's a horseman. They got each other's back. He's not going to let him get killed. That sort of deal. So I'm assuming that's what they're going with. But. What's in it for Sting? Like, what's Sting has to do with that?
3: And this is the original Thunderdome, not to be confused with the current WWE. Look at Terry Funk, it's his head caught (laughs) in the cage. Not to be confused with the current WWE Thunderdome. Funker's swinging at Ole. The wrong guy to be swinging at. You gotta worry about Sting and Flair in here.
4: And just an update, uh... I reached out to my neighbor. I, I have his number, and uh, it's his son and his girlfriend, and they had a little bit too much of the good drink. <laughs>
3: I told. I called it. I called
4: it. <laughs> so you should have corrected. never canceled. Uh, should
3: have never canceled live PD. Would have been. Would have been uh, fun. <laughs> Funk whipped from corner <laughs> to corner, and a big chop. This is the first time we've seen Flair and uh, Funk go at it, other than the suffocation angle, in quite a while. So Flair finally really getting to let out all of his aggression and looking for revenge. I know whenever somebody tries to suffocate me with a bag over my head, I like to chop the shit out like of him. his
4: base <laughs> slap, Muda. slap, <laughs> Muda.
3: Muda gonna sell here. I don't know why they're working the tag gimmick. I think this eventually breaks down. Which, if that's the case, then I get it. A little slow build to the breakdown. Of the tornado rules, but just seems odd that they're even tagging right now. You're inside of a. Steel case this is Thunderdome. Remember the way they've sold it? The way Elvira sold it and the Thunderdome video sold it and everyone else has sold this t Gordon Soli. This is uh, basically a monstrosity, right? Isn't that what what, uh, what did Funk call it? A vulgarity, a monst- something along those lines. And we're gonna uh, tag I love
4: how he just tagged Sting who was standing in the middle <laughs> in the corner. Right in the right. Ring. right.
3: Bruno doesn't oh, care. Bruno's just there to uh, call the match. And and do a spot.
4: Bruno's now. Bruno's pissed off that he's there. He has to be looking around at this cage like, what the hell? Oh, I know. Best I, uh, do I have... This stupid. That's probably what he's thinking.
3: Bruno, when was the first time you realized what the cage matches when, when the when the cage come down? I have no doubt that's the first time Bruno saw this. I, I'm sure they were like, oh, "What yeah. time's Bruno getting here?" Uh, two o'clock. All right, well, let's have this cage up in the air by at least noon. Whoa, and Muda, I wonder, they're throwing in a funk in the corner. Really didn't have room to bump.
4: Bruno's in the wrong spot. You can tell he's not a ref. Is this the last time he's with Bruno? Bruno's there? I think they get him one more time, right?
3: Yeah, we we see Bruno come back. Uh, man, I don't know if he referees again, but I know he's back in 92 during the Watts era. Watts, of course, really cut his teeth on Bruno up there in the WWF. Watts was oh, like... Three years in the business Ian, when Bruno would at, uh, ask asked to work a program with him? So that's pretty cool. What's that?
4: Wasn't wasn't Bruno at Halloween Havoc like ninety two or yes, something? Which was
7: also in Philadelphia.
4: In Philadelphia. Right. Yeah. and was he at that Clash thirty or whatever where they were celebrating like thirty years and oh, 20 Andre years. was there. Twenty years. Twenty years, yeah. Um When Andre was there, I wonder if he was there.
3: It's possible. Oh. I don't remember. I don't remember that show too well. Not a really good card, so it's not really one of the clashes I watch too often. But yeah, good call. I know for That's sure awesome. he was at that Halloween Havoc 92. I knew he was there during that Watts era, and that makes sense too. It was it was also in Philadelphia. Sting getting a little
7: revenge on Muda, who stole the TV title.
4: Yeah, <laughs> so what, what is he try- going on in this cage? <laughs> I'm trying to...
3: Trying to get an idea of uh, what they got hanging from the cage? Like, look at
4: that. Like, there's like a, a bar on the outside of the cage. I wonder if that's a gimmick that they can't use.
3: Well, they got dragon heads hanging off the outside of the cage. I see chains hanging from the cage, cobwebs and other things. We'll see uh, uh, Sting implement the uh, Tarzan vine before this match is over, hanging over there in the corner. A little bit of <laughs> random odds and ends. <laughs> Whatever they found laying around. It's like a new Jack match. Whatever they saw laying around, that's what they used.
4: Well, I don't know why they decorated it, especially that cobweb on the hard cam. It kind of makes it hard to see what's going on in there. Oh, they didn't plan that but, for you. Do you think um, they
3: even had the camera set up when they put, put this shit on the cage? It's NWA. No. Oh, what a no, leg drop by Muda.
4: Oh, that was nice.
3: So they I love how hard... they had
4: the gimmicks, though, every year, right? What did they do with 90? Nothing? Well, they had the they a Barry uh, and sting, so. Right. But I don't, I don't remember any
3: crazy Black Scorpion gimmick, showed up and did a little magic trick for you.
4: So. Yeah. There's always that. But then you got 91 with the Chamber of Horrors.
3: <laughs> oh, yeah. And the Halloween Phantom. And the creatures. Dust that was all over Everything that, thub, baby. You know. Mock at that ship, baby, if you will. <laughs> Take it to the pay window. <laughs> Sting getting choked out <laughs> there by a boot to the throat. You know, they they really hard-sold this the last several weeks as parental discretion advised. Meanwhile, Pennsylvania state law said there's no they, they no longer allowed blading because they know wrestling's a work, and they threatened to shut the show down as well, and NWA would lose its license in Pennsylvania if anyone uh, bled in this match. Obviously, if it was hard way and proven to be hard way, I'm sure you could argue that, but I, I'm sure by this point they have a good idea of what's What's hard way and what's not? Ric Flair obviously doesn't test them here in this
4: match. Yeah, it'd be nice to know that before. When, I wonder how early they knew that.
3: I'd say they had to have known it from the beginning. This is not like yeah, a well, new law.
4: Man, wrestling's dirty. Shit bags. <laughs> promoting something they know they can't do.
3: That's <laughs> uh, so like Vince for years promoting matches he knew couldn't even take place. Cards subject to change.
4: I, 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 you know, I don't even give a shit. I, I don't care. Like Meltzer harps on that all the time, and it's annoying as hell. Oh, it's dirty. They shouldn't be doing that, and I don't really give a shit.
3: Well, if you bought a ticket to see a guy, and you found out later that they knew that guy was never—I mean, it's one thing when a guy can't make the show, but if I knew two months in advance the guy was going to be there, and I'm selling, uh, oh, I'll just say Hogan and Warrior, and I know two months out that Warrior's not going to be there. And you, you paid ticket to go see that. And then I'm like, yeah, Warriors not here, by the way. I'd be pissed a little bit.
4: <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm
3: now if rugged Ronnie I'm Garvin insane. missed the show. That's okay. I'm cool with yeah. that.
4: To be honest with you, I might, like, I just pay to go see the wrestling. I don't really care who's on the card. I don't care if Hogan and where's there or not. It doesn't matter. I just want to go see the show. It, it doesn't matter who's there for me. Um. That's kind of how it is now. Obviously, the name is WWE. It's not the wrestlers, so it fits into that. But I guess Ooh. I've always been that way. Nice.
3: Stinger looking for the Scorpion on Muda. But remember, Muda can't submit. Gary Hart, while well, he doesn't even get the move. I guess it doesn't really matter. Terry Funk stops that from happening. And it looks like the heels don't mind being in the ring at the same time. Meanwhile, the baby faces are trying to play by the rules. And again, I question why are there rules in a match that's supposed to be parental discretion advised and so brutal that these Terminators are talking about broken bones, ending careers, stumps hanging, uh, body parts hanging off and stumps being shown. Meanwhile, Ric Flair and Stinger trying to tag one another in the middle of all this. And the Funker and Muda having a field day just stomping the hell out of Finally, I was wondering where the hell Flair was going to get in there. Finally, we break down a little bit. See what they go go with here now. Back to the floor. Um, I know at some point Funker starts climbing the cage. Well, Oli out there checking on Sting. Let's see if we. Well, oh, like, ignores him.
4: How did? I wonder how Funk cut his finger. Looks like he, <laughs> he get some blood on his hand because it's on Bruno's shirt and his tape's pretty red. Somewhere where yeah. he cut it. Probably on one of those things around the middle of the cage. I don't know what the hell that is. I don't know if it's stability, so it's like support, or what. But there's like a green fence that's laid down on the outside. You can I'm really see it climb. When Sting was trying to hang Mood or whatever it was. Right. Yeah, there he is. Like He's standing on it there.
3: That's probably what it's for. <laughs> I don't know. I, it could be some type of stability thing. I, I wouldn't doubt this cage doesn't look, oh. Oh, that had to hurt. Oh, yeah, you can tell. That's a rail. See, that's that's just there? there to lock it in. Yeah, it's uh, definitely support. It's, it looks like a support beam. It's,
4: it looks like it's only there in that one spot though. So that's what's weird about it. I don't know. It, it, obviously, they haven't had any time to work in this environment or test it.
3: <laughs> no, definitely. You know, <laughs> you know, they didn't test this see. shit out. <laughs> I can't believe it. these guys are. No. Now, see, look up there. You can see those blue light bulbs are. Put in up there. I'm sure that had something to do with the, uh, the electrical gimmicks they had planned. Unfortunately, it shut off, so <laughs> you have to wait until uh, two years later when Halloween or when Abdullah fries before you get another spectacle here in a cage like this.
4: <laughs> Mood is selling it anyway, even though we're not seeing it. He's selling it like he's getting up that high, and he's like, "Oh, that that hurts." <laughs> so. Good on he's him. Doing, like, yeah, he he, he got it figured out. The little things that you need to do in an environment like that. Like you said, spit in the mist to right. put out the fire. Or he gets high enough to where you can see something different about the cage up there. So I'm going to sell it as if it's electricity. Um. Oh, Terry Funk's just doing whatever the hell he wants to himself. Hell
3: yeah, he's just <laughs> Terry Funk's beating himself up as much as Ric Flair's beating him up at this point. F- Flair's dropping an elbow and Funk's ramming his own face
7: into the cage. So we got two guys
3: fighting on the outside. Finally, it's broke down. We got all four guys actually fighting now. I would like to have seen a little more of this. Although now Funk's going up there to the top. Let's see if Funk sells any electrocution here.
4: No, no he's, he's just, sticking his head in
3: it. <laughs> no, he's just going to hang from it. <laughs> yeah. Hanging from Ooh. a live wire. Well, if anybody can do it, I suppose it would be Terry Funk. You see a dragon, a head of a dragon. Oh, Ric Flair is swinging on a vine. Woo! Oh, Rick, Rick, not the best, not not the most savviest of the vine swingers.
4: Definitely not.
3: So we got uh, somewhat of a wrestling match. Sting's Sting's just holding Muda for this press slam forever here. I'm not sure what, sorry, is he waiting for a spot?
4: I think he's waiting for (laughs) Bruno, like to acknowledge him or something. Like, should I do it? His arms have to be getting dead. And then you don't even see the payoff.
3: Yeah, the camera cuts away there. As Ric Flair has Terry Funk's snot hanging out of Terry's nose, as he's hanging upside down in the cage. Looks like a complete train wreck mess. You wouldn't expect anything less from Terry Funk.
4: That's where Foley got it from. <laughs> hey, man, get that snot to come out. That's how you <laughs> do it. Those burgers to hang.
3: Foley upped it. He got that's... the tooth toot to hang out.
4: Ugh, that's nasty.
3: That's nasty. Muda going under the ring. What's he up to? Shenanigans under the ring now? Stinger on the vine the rope, the vine, whatever you want to call it. And Terry Funk climbing back to the top again. I don't know what Terry's trying to do. What's he trying to accomplish up there?
4: He's trying to get Sting's dental floss down. Is that what it it's, is? Uh, <laughs> Sting's Sting Flosses Sting his teeth with to... that live wire, yeah. That's right. Always whatever you say, nail from up there.
3: Not a lot of room to work with on the outside when Oli's standing there. Gary Hart's standing there trying to do spots around ringside. Irish Whips. Oh, Flair and Mood to trade some chops.
4: Man, it'd have been awesome to see like a single run with them.
3: Well, we'll get a match. I think we get a couple of matches. I know we get one obviously at Starcade. I think we get one maybe even before that.
4: I meant when they mattered.
3: Right, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> I
4: got <gotcha>. you. <laughs> this is Starcade doesn't matter. But, I mean, like, just the program kind of spin off of this and put Muda in that position to go for the belt.
3: Sting just swung into Funk. <laughs> oh, Ooh. they're trying a little bit of anything. And there, here it is, the figure four on
7: Muda. Let's see what happens here.
3: Terry Funk is nowhere near the ring to break this up. I'm wondering if Gary Hart, well, no, Gary Hart's just talking with Bruno. Bruno, oh, Sting. All right, now Funk's nuts. It looked like right there.
4: Ooh, going a little low there, Stinger.
3: <laughs> that was awesome. Those thing swings on the rope and smashes right into questionably low area of Terry Funk, as he hangs from the cage. Terry's been hanging onto the cage for a while now, He's putting on a show.
4: He's been in that. He's <laughs> been in that same corner figuring out different ways to hang. Yes. <laughs> onto that cage, and he's working harder wow. than all of them. <laughs>
3: Sting going to try oh, to come up a different one. Nice enziguri there. Oh, Sting finally misses. Funk drops. As Sting swings through and gets his legs caught in the cage. Good spot. Oh, Funk's going to try to tie Sting up. Good spot. Smart move by the Funker. And Muda locking in that Muda Deathlock. He hasn't really used it here yet. He's got the uh, reverse Indian on right now. He hasn't bridged back to hook Flair's head, so... Muda kind of just taking a break, maybe taking a breather here for a minute. These guys have been running around chopping the shit out of each other for <laughs> quite a while now. Here we go. There it is. Oh, man, that's great. The Muda lock right there. It's got that reverse Indian death lock and the face cradled
7: as well. What a nice bridge by Muda.
4: I wonder if, did Vince, was Vince ever interested in him?
3: Imagine what Vince would have, he would have been the newest member of the Orient Express would have been my guess with the way Vince worked.
4: <laughs> I get, yeah, I know. I'm, that's what I was saying. I was like, it would have been interesting to see if they actually gave him, gave him something and promoted him and merged, merged him and not stereotyped and gimmicked him as the Orient Express, what they could have done. As like a major icy title heel type guy.
3: Right. Yeah. Can you imagine anybody in the WF trying to work Muda's style though? There's Flair taking that pile driver. He's got his, he likes to brace himself with his feet or his hands down on Funk's feet. Spike pile driver from the heels on Flair while Sting is tied uh, up and literally tied up in that vine rope, whatever it is. And the steel cage Oli, I think is trying to get him out. And we're having a little Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman issue here from Royal rumble. Uh-oh, Muda shoves Bruno. That's not a wise idea. I don't think he'll get away with that if he tries it again. It's taking a little longer than expected here. man. <laughs> oh, we got yeah. some guys trying to cut Sting free now? I can't tell. Now, Oli's uh, got him look free. Play good
4: night
3: yet. Yeah, no, Oli's yeah, got him Oli free. Here we go. Sting's setting up for his next big spot. Let's see. He's, he's getting up there. He's waiting for
7: somebody.
4: I don't know, man. Mood and, oh. Mood and oh. perfect. What a, Holy what, shit.
3: <laughs> what a nasty crumple. Ooh. Oh, my God. Sting with a body block of sorts from nearly the top of the cage. And Funk doesn't take a back pop. He just crumples down. That did not look pretty. And he's holding, holding no, his knee. Not. Good sell job there out of the spot. Funk now holding his knee. We might be going into the finish. If Ric Flair gets wind of this. Muda about climbs out, even though the cage has that incline at the top, Muda's about climbed out.
4: How's he doing?
3: Maybe he's ch- trying to
7: one-up uh, Sing, Let's see what I can do up here.
3: Meanwhile, Flair going to the knee of Terry Funk. You know what that means? He's softening him up for the figure four. Bruno just kind of wandering around. I can't believe I'm getting paid for this.
4: <laughs> Bruno's salty.
3: <laughs> well, if he, got, if he got anything like he always got paid in the WWF, I'm sure he made plenty enough that it was worth his while to stand out here for 20 minutes, no matter how, how embarrassing it was. That's true. And I'm not taking anything away from the guys actually wrestling. It's more just the, the silliness of it all, the, the way the cage looks and <laughs> just things like that. It just oh. doesn't coincide with Bruno's flair with that knee drop. Oh, Funk, selling like his uh, maybe a broken leg there. Good sell job by Funker.
4: Racking himself on the cage. Yeah, that's yeah. nasty. <laughs> Too bad he didn't like fan his balls like he does at the <laughs> one start. Starcade. Starcade
3: ninety. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. <laughs> Me and my friend always crack up over that.
3: He oh, he racks yeah. wow.
4: himself on the ropes and fans them a little bit. Yeah, he opens up, it, opens awesome.
3: up his uh, tights and looks down there, make sure everything's still in place. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Muda with a backbreaker on You don't Sting. expect it from.
4: You just don't expect it from no. somebody like Muda.
3: No, he was there to have fun that night. It appeared as Muda going up for the moonsault, and meanwhile the camera is on. Oh, he got crotched. I'm not sure why he got crotched. Looks like maybe Sting did something they, there. I guess. Muda was going up to for the moonsault. For this, yeah. Muda went up for the moonsault. Sting crotches and Muda falls to the floor, and Ric Flair has funk in the figure four. But Gary Hart, he's not, he's not uh, even showing a sign of wanting to throw in the towel at this point as Sting's on the top rope. Oh, comes off with a splash on Funk while Funk's stuck in the figure four. Poor Funker.
4: Hart's back there, nope.
3: Gary Hart just won't do He's more worried about the Muda, or Great Muda here, than he was throwing in the towel. Sting gonna come off a second time with another splash here. And he connects. Let's pick up some of the audio. Boom, Muda comes back in to make the scene. He goes after Bruno. And Bruno pops, and what a big pop from the fans. And then moments later, Gary Hart tries to get in the ring. Ole Anderson decks him, and Gary's towel goes flying. Bruno looks over. He realizes Ole still has his towel, so it's clear Gary threw it in, even though he really didn't throw it in. And that's the finish. Sting and Flair pick up the win.
4: I don't like it.
3: (laughs) Well, there's only one way out of these matches. Uh, and that's, uh, typically the finish. So I, I, I get what you're uh, saying. Not, not exactly the most, uh, the greatest finish. Definitive. Yeah, I get you. Well, we'll get something definitive in a couple weeks anyway, at least in the flair yeah. funk department. But yeah, for a pay-per-view, eh, a uh, little hokey, uh, for yeah, a finish there.
4: You had two, uh, you had two, uh, questionable finishes, uh, for your last two matches. Uh, I would have, I would have flipped the card around a little bit. I know the roadies and skyscrapers are obviously the roadies and skyscrapers, but I kind of would have put, I would have simmered that Doom debut a little longer and put them on right before this, and that way you have a clean finish. Well, not that wasn't even clean. So three out of your last four matches were a little shady. So, um, well, I think I don't I, know, I, man. Just I like the go. Doom
3: finish a little better than than you know a disqualification. So still would have been a little better with a pinfall anyway. But
4: Bruno, I get what you're saying. Bruno we didn't go- even want to take that job.
3: <laughs> no, Bruno just have said, have you job. better not touch me. But Bruno oh, pops shit. Muda and the crowd remembers, man. One punch from Bruno Sammartino and the crowd erupts, just like it was in his heyday. A simple punch. And the crowd goes wild for Bruno Sammartino. Might be the last time we see Bruno get physical, if I remember correctly, ever, maybe.
4: So that was fun. And only walking around with that shit stuck to his foot it was driving me nuts. <laughs> <laughs>
3: he just came back from, from the bathroom, only, and it's walking around with a right. to- toilet paper <laughs> on his shoe. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bruno okay. declares flair and sting. I wonder what Bruno thought of the finish, for that matter, now that I think about it. But that concludes the pay-per-view. That's it. As I'm sure Jim Ross and Bob Cottle will start wrapping it up here, and we're going to have to start wrapping it up as well in a minute or two. What did you think overall of Halloween Havoc 89?
4: Uh, the first hour kind of sucked too many jobber matches I uh, just I don't know why you have two of them on the card the s s t in the the midnights was really good the, the That saved the first hour. I'm sure this show is better better with the audio uh just because of the crowd. The Philly crowd's always fun right and as you can see with, like with the dudes match, they don't care one way or the other. If you're heel face, they don't give a shit. They're going yeah. to cheer. who They want to cheer. A lot and, of people um, put
3: Philly over as a heel crowd and they do cheer a lot of heels. And that goes even back. You can go back way back in, into the WWWF mm-hmm. days. But at the same time we see here, they, they popped crazy for the road warriors. They popped crazy for the Steiner brothers. So it's not so much healer face. It's just if you're good or not. So the dudes, you know, mm-hmm. they take one on the chin because simply because they suck.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, they crapped on the Cuban and Tommy Rich because they're saying what we all are saying. This is boring. So I think if you can get past that first hour outside of the midnights, you can skip the first match. Uh, watch the midnights. Skip the Assassins. Freebirds are fun just because of the crowd. And the match wasn't bad. I wish, like I said, we earlier Shane. I wish he was a little. He wasn't injured that way. He could have done a little bit more offense. It probably would have cleaned up the beginning of that match. And then the last. I would say the big matches that really were pushed. To the moon on TV, I think they delivered for the most part. Luger and Pillman was a little slow at times, but I thought it was it was it was entertaining, and I want to see him again. Uh, Doom took a lot of punishment, so and the that that finish made sense to me. I, I'm not mad at that one. That that right. had to happen. Doom had right. to win, but you had right. to keep the Steiner strong to continue yeah. this going. So that makes sense. I just don't know how I feel about the roadies and the skyscrapers. I, I, I don't even know about a weapon. I think I don't. I don't know. I just that's kind of eh to me. Like the match was good. I, you I, I was you, you, come to, you come to you come to expect it. It's uh, it's
3: almost like the old Dusty finish. Remember when when the year started and fans would look after Dusty stopped booking, the fans would still look. And when they even teased the Dusty finish at one point, but didn't give it to him, they gave him a real a title change. And it's kind of like that with the roadies at this point. Either they're going to win, or there's going to be a disqualification. That's pretty much all you're going to get. For the most part, and uh, in regards yeah. to the Steiners, I, I, I gotta, you know, I, I agree with you there too. You had to do that finish. I like how Woman was incorporated. And you have to remember, to the best of my knowledge, the Steiners have only lost two matches ever to the Freebirds at the Clash, thanks to Woman, and to Doom here tonight, again, thanks to Woman. So she is, uh, you know, the, the uh, Achilles heel right now of the Steiner brothers, and you just got to wait to see if they yeah. can overcome that. Yeah,
4: that's that's great booking of just covering all your tracks and making sure the details are taken care of. So um, the Steiners really have an argument to be undefeated if it wasn't for women. So that's great. Uh, The the roadies matches. I don't know, dude, I don't know really what to say about it. The the match itself was good, but I just wish one time they just job clean. I think the skyscrapers needed it because you could beat up jobbers and mid-level teams all day, but if you can't really get a clean win on the roadies, then how can we take you serious that type of deal as the team of the nineties or whatever it is they want to push you as. And then the main event was the main event. Uh, you just, you just got to accept the finish for what it is. And it it was a fun match. I think it would have been a lot better if they had was able to do the gimmicks that they wanted to do. That probably hindered the uniqueness of the match or what they were going for. Right. So, we really didn't get what they wanted to give us, which is unfortunate, but it's a fun show. As long as you can get past that first hour of jobbers, <laughs> the first two matches, anyway, there's two matches.
3: Yeah, uh, the six-man was good, I thought. I thought the last uh, four matches on there, there was eight matches. I thought the last four matches were good for what they were. I mean, it's the first time, I, to the best of my knowledge, first time. We get Luger and Pillman out there the first time. Doom is with the signers. So these guys are learning on the go here, live on pay-per-view, working with one another. I thought they did a good enough job here, and I'm sure it can only get better from here as they can continue to wrestle one another. So for what it was, I don't think anything on this show was a classic per se, but mm-hmm. I thought there was enough good, solid stuff that I didn't mind it. Like you said, once you get past the Zenk match and the Tommy Rich match, even the Freebirds match was probably excellent to watch simply because, well, you heard the crowd. Uh, they, would, they They made that yeah. match, I have no doubt. That was a very entertaining match, just watching in awe as they just boo the living hell out of the dynamic dudes. So overall, a solid pay-per-view, like you said, once you can get past some of that stuff in the first hour.
4: Yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought because it went to Halloween <laughs> Havoc 90 on the network and Tommy Rich and Rick, Ricky Morton are right here. So oh, I can't get match. away from Tommy Rich.
3: No, but you don't want to get away from that match. Uh, that is an amazing match. With the midnights, yeah,
4: absolutely amazing. Yeah, so um, I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I figured I got it now. What the problem is is this is just the beginning of of match wise for some of these feuds. Mm-hmm. So um, right, you you kind of expected things to be a little shady uh, as far as that goes. So right, I underst I understand it completely. It's just sometimes you wish. Some teams just need that win. I think the skyscrapers needed that win, a little bit more defi- a definitive win. Right.
3: I wouldn't argue that. I, I would like to have seen that as well. Just uh, uh, not necessarily uh, 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 cheating to win, but maybe just some kind of a miscommunication spot to where the roadies' job, but they kind of save face at the same time. It's just somebody in the wrong spot at the wrong time type deal. Maybe Hawk trips over someone, takes a boot. I don't know, something like that. Maybe, maybe Spivey just puts his feet on the ropes. Something that simple. Yeah. I would have bought that.
4: Or, or even if they did cheat, just let the skyscrapers get the pin. Uh, that that keeps the roadies strong. I just don't like right. the DQ finish. Right in front of the ref, it was too blatant.
3: Yeah. And it was with the key. That's where I have the issue. The key is so, the so key, corny.
4: Yeah. The key Yeah.
3: Especially when the skyscrapers are using it. It's just even more ridiculous. See, two big-ass bad-asses like that using that little key as the weapon.
4: <laughs> A prop key, yeah. Yeah. Like, Give me something else, like a tennis. I, the tennis racket gimmick would have been better. Um, something like that that's a little bit more easier to show. Like the key is just a punch. You can tell it's just a punch. Like you said, if it was Hawk in that last shot, uh, <laughs> fine. But the rest of them are like just punches. So, right. I don't know, too weak for me. But all in all, I would give this show about a 6.5 out of 10. That if sounds being, being That
3: sounds about fair. I think that's about pretty as about as accurate as you can probably get with this show and Dave Meltzer I remember in the uh, Observer once he took the poll. This show was kind of strange with the uh, the voters. It got about 50% both ways. 50% thumbs up, 50% thumbs down. Typically you usually see a little more than that on one side or the other. It's, so it's a it's hit or miss with, you know, every other person that watched it. I think it was good enough to be I I enjoyed it. I I sat down and I got what I wanted out of it anyway. Like I said, nothing was a classic, but a lot of these guys are just starting to feel each other out and their stories are just getting started. And the show must go on. Mm -hmm. And it'll go on next week when we return with two weeks of November TV. Man, November, that's getting pretty damn close to the end. And then in two weeks' time, we're already going to be back here with another watch along because it's two weeks of TV and then it's Clash of the Champions 9. New York knockout. Ric Flair versus Terry Funk in an I Quit match as the main event.
4: Sounds awesome. Finally, going to wrap up, put a bow on this one for Terry Funk and Ric Flair.
3: Yeah, this so, has been uh, going on ever since the, uh, the Funk and Steamboat trilogy ended. So it's been going on quite a long time now. Almost a uh, half a year. Yeah,
4: the Flair and Steamboat. Yeah. Yeah, Flair and Steamboat trilogy. You said Funk and Steamboat. That would have been entertaining too.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. Well we did get one yeah. funkin steamer match there at one of the clashes, but yeah, I would have loved to see seen more between them two as well. What well, could have been if, if Steamboat had just hung around a little while, we'd probably have seen the blow blow off of Steamboat Luger here at the Halloween Havoc instead of Pillman being inserted here. One thing's for sure is Luger's career would have been far more entertaining for the rest of the summer and into the cl- last clash anyway.
4: Yeah, that's no lie. <laughs> but Thanks but to- Bonnie. We yeah. appreciate you. Well, yeah, we really appreciate you, you said Bonnie. No one.
3: Yeah, you got that right,
4: <laughs> bitch.
3: Oh, she's going to sue me now.
4: Yeah, you better be careful. I was just saying, Sid, no one ever. I'm good. I'm not saying anything else.
3: <laughs> well, another one in the oh, books, okay. and uh, we'll be back again soon with uh, more NWA. Lots of news and notes coming up. The Freebirds going to drop the belts here pretty soon. And as you mentioned Thank earlier God. in the show, Sid going to go down to an injury. We'll learn a little bit more about that on uh well maybe not the next episode of the grenade but certainly by the clash uh we'll be talking a little more about that and a whole lot of other stuff going on we talked about someone replacing dick slater being uh the dragon master kendo nagasaki somebody else is going to be gone from JTEX here before too long and there's going to be another guy coming in to replace him and mad dog buzz sawyer coming back to do professional wrestling the mainstream national level of professional wrestling talk about uh unpredictable man in real life
4: yeah just go ask the undertaker
3: (laughs) and so much more oh my god yeah but uh steve man appreciate you doing another uh watch along they're always fun
4: oh yeah these are the best so uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed it i had fun it's been a long time since i've seen the show and um it didn't disappoint i was happy to watch it with new eyes and talk to you about it so um all in all fun show
3: Absolutely. So we'll be back again soon, Steve. I hope everything's going okay with your neighbors. And for Ray Russell and Steve Ekstat, we thank you guys for uh, joining us here on the Watch Along
5: for Halloween Havoc 89.